Hello folks, welcome to the DC3Cast. We're doing things a little bit differently tonight. We recorded an entire show that you're going to be hearing after this, but news broke today. In a bit of news that I've been thinking about this very carefully, I would say aside from Marvel being bought by Disney, this news is perhaps the biggest piece of comics industry news in almost 50 years. No. Yes. DC rebooting with the new 52. That was not that was industry by way of the comics. That uh, was the, I don't know. I'll get to this in a second. Anyway, uh, I'm Brian Vincent Zacker here as well as always. But uh Brian Michael Bendis signing a exclusive an exclusive contract with DC, a multifaceted multi-year contract. We're going to get into the weeds here in just a minute with all of our hot takes about Bendis and all that. But first I'm going to disagree with Vince here. Um the New 52 was a was a problem with the comics that was being treated as an industry thing. But if those comics were selling well, that wouldn't have happened. Like, I firmly believe that if DC was beating Marvel in 2010, the New 52 would have never happened the next year. I yeah, just, I, mean, I just seem to remember a lot of stuff about how Marvel and DC were both sinking, and the DC was getting people back into the shops. Well, yeah. I, okay, so I think we're maybe talking about two different things. Like, the New 52, like, the industry probably wouldn't look like it does right now, necessarily, if it wasn't for the New 52. It would probably be a lot less healthy. Um, but... I think Brian's point still stands because when is the last time I'm, you know, I, I hate to draw the Kirby comparisons this soon, That's what I was especially, say, especially unironically. Um, but this is like the biggest poach I think since Kirby. I can't think of another one that felt this, a jaw-droppingly... I mean... Hear me out here, Vince, for a second, okay? Is there any creator who is more associated with Marvel over the last 20 years than Bendis? No, of course not. And is there any creator who has jumped ship at the, quote, peak of their powers since I don't think Kirby... he's at the peak of their, his I said, powers quote, by I said, any means. I said quote. <laughs> but, like, he, he hasn't been put out... He is still doing just as much at Marvel as he was five or ten years ago. I I would argue that that's... not a good thing. No, but <laughs> but, but what, what I'm saying is just that to the... Like I, I, there's an article that's coming out if you're listening to this on Wednesday today, that myself and Matt Garcia, one of my editors at Multiversity, did together about this. And one of the things that I said was that I don't think that this is going to have a huge impact on the um, the quality of the books at either publisher, really, overall. But I think that this is such a huge morale booster for DC and killer for Marvel because it's just it's 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 their it's their flagship writer. It's this person who's emblematic of Marvel's recent success, leaving for DC and doing so without. I mean, it it was 
you have to think that the ink was dry yesterday about this because DC did not put out a press release. DC did not put out a video introducing him. It was a tweet sent at 9 a.m. this morning. It was it was this unceremonious like, hey, we got Bendis. Here it is. Boom. I can't remember a bit of comics news being this big in my lifetime. I, I can't remember. I know I sound hyperbolic, but I really can't think of one. And, you know, the first thing I thought is like, okay, what did it take to make this happen? And, you know, we kind of saw Marvel's response, which was like, yes, we knew that he wasn't renewing his contract and we knew that he was signing with DC and we're happy for him. But like, I wonder, you know, did DC really like have to come in and woo him or was he like, please let me do anything else than Civil War (laughs) 3? Well, I know that um, the rumor, and this was implied from the release, but uh, from the press release, but was also, um, it's in the Bleeding Cool article that has since emerged, which has some supposed details about how this all went down. Uh, one of the things is that he has been given a spot alongside Jeff Johns in the TV and film department. That he's going to be doing not just comics, but also some multimedia stuff with DC. And... Um, I think that that's a, you know, he's a guy who's dabbled in TV before, and I think that this seems like, supposedly he was upset that he was uh, not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe discussions anymore, as he was early on when, with Iron Man, with the first Avengers movie. Um, so I think that probably had a big, a bit to deal with it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we haven't talked about how we feel about this, really. So, Vince, I'll start with you. Does this move the needle for you at all? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like I'm going to be the the big detractor here. Um, uh, I've never really been a fan of Bendis. I've tried. Lord knows I've tried. Um. I used to think some of his stuff was good, and I kind of came to the conclusion over the last couple of years that I've I've never really liked Bendis. I've always tried to force it, um, and I most of it is a stylistic issue because his style is so specific and so grating to me. But also, apart from that, I just think that he's responsible for some trends in comics as far as decompression is concerned, and the way that events are written and done. Um, that are some of the worst things about superhero comics. Um, and uh, I've been blocked by him on Twitter for essentially telling him as much. <laughs> um, so uh, you'll, you guys will have to do the interview without me if you ever get Bendis on the show. But uh, uh, I just, I'm just not a fan of his. And so I, I understand the relevance, but I, I think you're going to find that I'm a lot less enthusiastic and and pretty skeptical about whether this means anything quality-wise for DC. I mean, um, I'm right there with you on all of that. Because I just don't think... I've never enjoyed his work. The, the last Bendis thing I really enjoyed was Ultimate Spider-Man when Miles came in. Aside from Ultimate Spider-Man, I don't know if there's a single Bendis comic I like. Uh, 
Oh man, see, man, and I thought I was. I mean, I knew Vince didn't like Bendis, but I thought I like didn't like Bendis either. But hearing you guys not like Bendis, I'm I must be like the most pro Bendis guy on this podcast, um, <laughs> because I, I was telling Vince before the show about. I guess it was about like three or four years ago. I read his Daredevil for the first time and really genuinely enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, and kind of started like checking out some of his other stuff, dabbling here and there. And um, I guess it was kind of around the same time his X-Men run was happening. And I read probably about the first half of that. I fell off because I was just reading too many comics at that point. But I liked it quite a bit as well. And I mean, there have been things around that time and like since then that i genuinely couldn't stand like his guardians of the galaxy i didn't care for um i've tried to like dabble in and out of his like more recent ultimate spider-man stuff and didn't really care for it and um and basically everything that's happened like post um post secret wars has been not great but I don't know. Part of me, I think that he is a very talented writer. I think that maybe he has just like, part of me like wants to hope that he has just been doing the same thing for so long that he's kind of become trapped by his tropes. You know, like a Bendis comic is a a caricature thing at this point. Um, And I really hope that by you know having a new change of scenery writing characters that he hasn't written for 20 years um he could maybe do something really interesting yeah go ahead vince i i certainly hope you're right zach um i i will say this um part of my problem with bendis is that he comes up with ideas that I really like or I really dig, and then and then when you get to reading them, they're so slow moving and they're and they're far less eventful than they could be. the The thing that I always come back to is when he was writing, I think Avengers and New Avengers at the same time with uh, John Romita and John Romita Jr. and it was there was an Infinity Gauntlet storyline that was supposed to be this big epic thing. And it felt like the smallest thing in the world to me, just the way that he wrote it and how decompressed it was. And um, the same thing with Miles. Like, Miles Morales is a great character. Uh, I've liked, I guess, I guess I like him as a character, but like, when I'm reading him, I'm always thinking, I wish somebody else were writing this other than Bendis. Because this is a fantastic addition to Marvel and the Spider-Man lore and everything. And yet I don't have any interest in reading Bendis's style of dialogue ever again, you know? So I, I, I can, I see where there is talent there and I understand excitement, but the style just gets in the way so well, much for me. See, I guess that's when I, like, I know we, like exact i mean we talk about like the bendis speak especially because like tom key speak has become like the new bendis speak but and maybe this is just my like fog of memory but i don't think in my in my like impression it's only his recent stuff that is as bad as it is Mm. like that like the um 
like the Iron Man stuff and some of the more recent Spider-Man stuff. I don't remember his Daredevil being that um, I have to admit his, repetitive. His, his Daredevil is a big blind spot for me. I did not read any of his Daredevil run. And I don't remember, like, I mean, I know that his, his like, early Avengers stuff was, like, notorious for the talking head stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, terrible. Um, oh, my God, that was terrible. Yeah. But that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it was just well, pages and pages of that. I, I guess it's interesting that, I mean, there is a lot of that, but, you know, we're doing our Watchmen reread right now, and... A lot of that is just talking head stuff as well. Obviously, it's it's you know, but it's not repetitive. Talking, it's, I don't know. It is. I mean, it kind of is sometimes. Uh, but it's it's good. I did not see a Bendis greater than Watchmen <laughs> argument coming up. This I'm not trying to make that. That's not know, what I'm trying. I'm just trying to say that like that. I I mean, we've read a lot of comics where like talking head comics where they're good I, mm-hmm. I, i'm just saying like i i am maybe not so like okay with the like talking heads or equal bad argument yeah i get that well one one other thing i'll say before we get brian's opinion on this is that powers was also lousy with just word balloons everywhere oh, and repetitive back and forth the... dialogue there's yeah, one that's partic- a blind spot for me. I've never read Powers. Oh, God. There's one particular page that gets pulled from that all the time that's used as, like, a meme where the art is, like, 75% covered up with speech balloons, and it's, like, just, <laughs> you know, really? 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 You're kidding me. No. But, you know, just the back and forth, just this ridiculous. It's the thing I always make fun of when I talk about Bendis. Um that scene in specific. And I feel like that leaks into his other work far too much for my taste, but um, we'll see. I'm going to have really hard because so few people like modern people have a body of work. That's like as big as his. So it's really hard unless you're someone who's read literally every Bendis thing ever. I feel I, I feel like the the recurring thing here is we're all like, oh well, I've read this like Bendis thing, and I've read this. We're all coming from like different places, and so it's really hard to like peg down who you know yeah. a, a cohesive Bendis picture outside of kind of the like caricature that we all make fun of, right? <laughs> um, so. Like I said, I, I, I am not a, a Bendis super fan by any means. I I I am not all that excited to read a Bendis DC comic. I'm not. Um but I will say this, and I said this on Twitter earlier today, I feel like this is as good of an indication as anything that DC is going for it. Like, DC is saying, we are in this comic game to to kill. We are in this to be as big and as bold and to do as much as we possibly can. Just think about this for a second. There are, were five Marvel architects in 2010. This now leaves Jason Aaron as the only one who's still there. But none of those architects have gone over to DC yet, except Bendis. This feels like as much of a, uh, 
I mean, this is almost feels like they would have signed Bendis even if they had no interest in Bendis. <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. You know, be, because it represents something so uh, so important to like to to Marvel that they were going to do this. It just feels like DC is saying, "All right, we're we're not backing off here. We're gonna we're gonna keep going with with bringing in great talent, and we're gonna we're gonna do all we can." And I, I think they're being very, at least so far, it seems they've been very classy about it. The the statements they've released have not mentioned Marvel once. They have not tried to make this into a a pissing contest yet. They might still do that. Um, it, it kind of, I will say the thing I'll say about that is that it kind of speaks for itself. Like the some of the first takes that I saw about it this morning were what's wrong with Marvel? <laughs> like it wasn't about DC, but it, there were people asking like, what's happening at Marvel that this is happening, right. you know? Right. But um, go on. Sorry. No, but so it just seems to me, this is a really good indicator. Like, I think one of the things that we sometimes uh, lose track of is how much bigger the movie side of both Marvel and DC are to their parent companies. You know, we we're in the minutia of comics readership and so we are we're caring about all this stuff whereas like for Disney I don't think the Marvel sales really matter much at all especially when Thor Ragnarok is bringing in you know it's going to bring in a billion dollars when all is said and done uh, between you know vi- um between theater tickets and uh, Blu-ray DVD sales all that it's going to be a billion dollar thing so who so you know in some ways I feel like we we overstate the importance of of comics in the overall grand scheme of these media conglomerates but it seems to me like over the last year or two, DC has really made it clear that, that while, yes, their films are very important, that they are not losing sight of their roots as a comics company. And Rebirth, to me, was a real indication of that. And this is maybe the realest indication of that thus far, to me. I... Well, they got to get that critical acclaim somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Bendis is the way to do it, though. Well, no, but I mean, I guess maybe remove critical acclaim and I guess like critical goodwill, goodwill, I guess goodwill in general. They've got to get that goodwill somewhere. Now, have Um, have you guys read the Bleeding Cool article that came out this evening? um, Yes. The one about Zatanna? No. Or, oh, okay. It's it's titled something clickbaity like the real reason Brian Bendis left Marvel. Ah, uh. um, but essentially, you know, they say some of the things that that seem pretty clear. Like you know, Bendis has been there a long time, and a lot of his friends have sort of, are, are no longer there, and so maybe it's time for a change. But one of the things they mention is, and I, I forget the guy's name, and I'm not going to look it up because fuck this guy. Um, <laughs> there's uh, there's that Marvel, David s- Gabriel. There we go. There's that piece of shit's name, who. Um, <laughs> He had he had said right around New York Comic Con that diversity actually hurts comics and that you know uh, it's bad for Marvel to do this whatever you know he didn't quite say it that strongly but he didn't sugarcoat it much much more than that he basically said that diversity is bad for comics and bad for Marvel and the the, the word is that Bendis had a real problem with that which you know he should on a number of levels and that he Bendis felt that attitude was too prevalent at Marvel. And that's part of the reason why he is leaving. 
Well, if that's the case, then I mean, like, good on him, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure part of that is also that if you look at the characters that Bendis has created, most of his really successful characters have been either women or people of color or female people of color, you know, and, and he seems relatively committed to diversifying the general uh, superhero, you know, um, batch of characters. And so his his commitment to diversity might be noble. It's also probably a little bit self-serving because those are the characters that he created. Um, but the other part of the article that I thought was interesting was it did mention that, you know, he will have a place at the TV and film table along with Jeff Johns. And I wonder, it was, I think Vince made this joke on Twitter, that like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to talk in a minute about some books that, that Bendis could perhaps potentially write. And Vince said, like, we got to think of six books he's going to write because that's what Bendis does. But I wonder if Bendis is being groomed mm-hmm. for almost more of like a middle management job here where he's going to be doing, you know, a little bit of comic stuff but also a little bit of multimedia stuff. And if that won't lead to a slowing down of his input, which, perhaps, I mean, let's be fair, maybe he was decompressing books so much because he had nine books to write. And so he couldn't come up with, with plot for nine monthly books. We came up with plot for two monthly books and spread it over, you know, six or eight months. Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) I mean, he's been decompressing books for a really long time. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any of these optimistic little spins that you guys are putting on this. (laughs) I'm not expecting to like any of this. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think of the, the potential, I, I, I'm trying to be more even-handed, I guess. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of hard. Like on one hand, I think it's like really disingenuous for like me myself to be like, "Oh, Bendis can't won't do anything good, and everything he did was bad," because I was like such a Jeff Johns head around that same time, and he was essentially the Marvel equivalent. I mean, the DC equivalent. You know, yeah. I mean, everything that he did was essentially the same thing. Like he decompressed stories. He the same kind of events he like focused really heavily on past continuity and switched things up um and i know like none of us are probably as high on johns as we were in like the mid to late 2000s now but um i i know if i had been like more of a marvel guy at that time i probably would have thought as highly of bendis as i did johns um so i don't know uh, I think that's fair. Um, one of the other ideas that I floated was, you know, this... I always find it very fascinating to sort of dissect corporate speak, specifically in press releases and announcements and things like that. And the fact that the contract was referred to as multifaceted led me initially to think about TV and, and film. But the more I thought about it, too... It was just printed on a cube. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh <laughs> Uh, well played. Um, I I'm starting to think that maybe Bendis is going to get his own version of like a young animal imprint to play around in, uh, and maybe that's maybe that's what DC could offer. You know, let's be let's be, let's be real. For a while, he was Icon, right? At Marvel, it wasn't weren't. Wasn't Icon just publishing Bendis books for a while? I think yeah, he like still like Icon's only book is what like uh, Scarlet and um, that other is um, the 
United States book? Is that an icon book or is that I, image? I don't remember. It's or just... Scarlet Image. I don't even know. Like, I'm pretty sure the only icon books that are still like currently gestating anywhere are Bendis books for sure. Right. And so maybe DC said to him, look, you know, we'll give you this little corner of the universe and uh, you can play with it. And I'm pretty sure he's getting a vertical book too. I'm pretty sure he'll be one of those Vertigo announcements oh, for come sure. August. Uh, hopefully, as our friend Greg Matasevich said, hopefully not Powers. Um, <laughs> wouldn't it be hilarious if some one of those books picks up with like issue like you know just like mid-series published <laughs> under DC wow because <laughs> that book would have been published under Image Marvel and DC yeah yeah wow oh it's it's <laughs> almost it's almost it would almost it'll almost be weirder to see Brian Bendis's name next to Vertigo stuff than DC stuff for me. I know that sounds weird, but like, especially considering they're planning on relaunching Vertigo next year in some sort of way, Mm -hmm. you know? I feel like they're going to try to go like classic Vertigo with it, and then to throw Bendis' name in there just totally fucks that up in my head for me in a way that just putting him on some DC books doesn't. I don't. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I mean, we all we've all got our our weird hangups for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Well, I mean, we have talked. I don't know if we've talked about this on the record on the show, but we, the three of us, have talked about Bendis coming to DC. Yeah, I yeah. think we we've joked about it being the end game of Rebirth or something like that. Like that's the final get, you know. It's not even really Hickman. Didn't it's we not say he really... was going to be Doctor Manhattan at one point? Uh, <laughs> probably. I, I think, think we, we did, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, in some ways, as as crazy as that seems, and I'm not saying we have anything to do with anything, but in some ways, us just Dan, talking. You're welcome. Dan, you're welcome. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> um, but in in some ways, us just talking about it has like softened the blow of it to me. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, we never talked about Vertigo or anything like that. So that, when Greg said that, that, like, I dropped the coffee cup like this was uh, Usual Suspects or something <laughs> and shattered into a million pieces. Um, uh, yeah, I uh, I don't necessarily feel that way, but I, <laughs> but, I, but I understand I understand what you mean by that. I really do. Yeah. Um, so let's let's start talking about potential landing spots for Bendis in terms of DC proper books. Um, if you go to multiversitycomics.com, there is a post that most of our staff contributed to where we talked about books that we might uh, see Bendis show up on, things we were hoping for, just predicting. And uh, Zach, you had uh, you had my favorite left field suggestion, and that was Which Batman one? Beyond. Yeah. So talk um, about that for a second. How do you see okay. Bendis fitting into that? Okay, so I think the obvious, like, when you say, what is Bendis going to write at DC? I think the obvious first choice is Batman because, um, you know, he's street level. He's their biggest character. He's DC's biggest character. So, of course, you're going to give him his own book. Not going to take it away from Tom King unless they're co-writing, which, you know, oh, man, that, that'd be a thing. But, you know, nothing will happen for a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
but no, he's going to get a Batman book eventually. But um, I think it'd be really interesting. You know, Batman Beyond has been a thing of, you know, in of various mediums for the past two, 20 years or so. Um, but it's never in comics had like a definitive run. Um, we've just had like these weird, like digital first things or, you know, Dan Jurgens doing his thing or whatever. Um, but I feel like he could do something really interesting with it. He could, you know, he is proven like, a, you know, he's, he's good with writing younger characters. He, I feel like he could maybe do something with that weird, um, like future speak, Maybe. So you're saying it would uh, be very shway. It would be so shway. But shway? Uh, you know, so shway. I so say shway. Shway. You say shway. shway. But like, you know, it, it could maybe. I think it'd be really interesting to have like a Batman Beyond book that played up more of the like noir esqueness maybe like so some. Blade I mean, Runner this is good. Beyond. Yeah, I was gonna say this is a terrible like I hate that I was going to say that, but yeah, Blade Runner meets Batman Beyond, basically. <laughs> uh, Vince, hit us with one of your ideas. Uh, Wonder Woman's Feet. The book. <laughs> uh, no. Um, um, I, I tried to... I, I initially tried to pin him to one of the three books that we always talk about when we talk about the books that DC Rebirth has yet to publish which are uh justice society of america legion of superheroes and shazam right right and originally i said well he's the best fit for lee out of any of those three books legion is the best fit for him i just feel you know uh team book essentially starting from scratch we would think basically we haven't seen them in a while. And, um, you know, younger younger people, which he seems to... I, I mean, I don't know. Because I'm not a fan, I can't say, like, yeah, he's good at writing young people. But, like, that seems to be a, a preference or something that people seem to think he fits. So I thought, like, that's the pick right there. But then I thought, no, I'm holding out for Hickman on that. And... With Justice Society, that do- doesn't seem to be like a fit. And so I ended up going with Shazam. And the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Because not only does Shazam have a movie coming up, which they're starting to like really cast for. Oh, yeah. They just, they just announced uh, uh, Zachary Levy. Or Levi? Levi, Levy. I believe. Is it Chuck? Yeah, Chuck. Ch- Chuck. Yeah. NBC's Chuck. Come on. Uh <laughs> dashing fandrel in uh the second in, two thor movies right <laughs> <laughs> not the first one not the first one um and uh anyway like he, he's playing shazam and some kid is playing billy batson and uh so i think like there's the movie tie right there they're uh, gonna want mark strong as dr savannah mark strong as dr savannah um uh that's weird to me <laughs> After yeah. Green Lantern, um, but Can you imagine uh, making Green Lantern and then being like, "Yeah, I'll do another DC movie." <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like Mark Strong would play the villain in anything for five dollars. That's probably true. I feel like that's. I mean, you, he's a good actor. But you could get him, Nicolas Cage, and Liam Neeson to do any action movie. 
Yeah. Under any absolutely. circumstances. Yep. Yep. And Morgan Freeman or Michael Caine will be the wise old, uh, yeah. you know, surprisingly spry for their age. <laughs> uh, anyway, big push for Shazam. Put Bendis on that. You know, there's another kid for him to write with Billy. There's. The I'll take it a poten- step further. It'll be sure. a team book because it'll be the, the Jeff Johns seven oh, the... people as Shazam thing. Yep, sure, sure. Yeah, that works. And a lot of good banter potential there. And so I just think, like, the more I thought about it, the the better I thought the fit was. He could just sit and talk to himself the whole time. <laughs> oh, God. I think Bendis would like nothing more than to write that book. He would act it out in the mirror and then write it all down. Bendis? But would, he, Bendis is he would make it. He would... Sorry, go ahead, oh, Zach. Okay. Oh, I was going to say he's going to, like, swamp thing it and bring it back to where it's, like, the two separate people who switch places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure John's made it that Billy Batson has a podcast, right? Is it, wasn't that? Oh, God. I want to say that was part of it. And I, I can just right. imagine entire issues of Batson, like, in his bedroom doing multiple takes of the same podcast story. It'll literally be the same dialogue over and over again, like and and also the same panel. Yeah, exactly. As well, yeah, yeah. It's like a nine-panel grid, and each panel is the exact same. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, that was another book that came out this week. Oh, oh snap! <laughs> I thought you had teased for next week's show because we're bringing yeah, this right. on last week's episode. So remember that goof. Guys, come back to us in a week. We thank you for it. Uh, best listeners uh, on the planet. James Johnston won't. Uh, yes, he will, or he if he knows what's good for him. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, the, one of the books I was thinking about, so I, I, I like you guys, think that he's going to get a bat book in some capacity, but I think they're going to give him World's Finest to start mm. because there there isn't a World's Finest book. I know there is a Trinity book right now, but there's something different to me about <gasps> What? I just had a thought, but finishers. Uh, there's something to me that's a little bit different about a world's finest book. Although to be fair, Trinity doesn't really have a uh, a strong creative team right now. You know, Francis Manipal I think is still technically on the book. We've had Rob Williams writing it, and then James Robinson taking over. So him on Trinity makes I guess just about as much sense. But I just think they're going to make a big splash with him on a book that they can relaunch from number one. That is going to be slightly out of continuity. Not out of continuity, but it's not going to be. Like, I don't think they want Bendis necessarily to start off having to pick up somebody else's story in any way. So that's why I think a World's Finest book will be where they start. Plus, it lets them scratch the bat itch. It's a banter fest. I mean, a Superman-Batman book can be just as much Bendis banter as you want, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what were you going to say, Zach? You got excited. Well, this... Maybe this might be like too far along for this to be a thing, but what if he is writing the Liam Sharp Batman Wonder Woman book? Well, that's interesting. That is interesting. I think you're gonna see a bunch of uh, of big artists working with Bendis. I could see like Brian Hitch doing a Bendis thing. Oh um, yeah. I could see him and Ramita hooking up again. <laughs> How long until we get a Bendis Jim Lee book? <laughs> I saw somebody on Twitter pitch them doing the New Gods. I was like, oh, that's the worst idea oh, I've ever heard. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. 
No. Oh, God. Because I, yeah, I mean, we already drew the Kirby comparison, and I was like, oh, yeah, Bendis is going to do a New Gods book, right? I mean, he's going to do, like, the New Gods book. I mean, Tom King's kind of already doing a Bendis New Gods book. You're not wrong. They're just testing the waters. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go all Mr. Miracle on my wrists if that happens. Don't you, don't you, what if he gets a milestone book? I'll bite my tongue on that one. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 uh <laughs> let's leave that speculation to our minds, okay? Um, anyone else want to do a second round of uh, of Bendis books? I mean, all of mine are just derivative of other things he's written it pretty much. Well, I I think I, we've go ahead, Vince. I think we've all thought of the like Streets of Gotham or Gotham Central type yeah. book book for him, and I feel like I thought about that. Like the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, Streets of Gotham, and and uh, uh, what's his name draws it. <laughs> um, Alex Maleev. Yeah, Alex Maleev. And then I thought, you know, I know exactly what that book is. You know, yeah. like you think about that, and it's so boring. It's like. You know exactly what you'd get. Would it be good? Um, you know, maybe. Maybe technically it would be good, but, like, n- no surprises there. I want a surprise from Bendis. But don't you think you that know? Bendis is going to do what he wants to do? Maybe, but it would just be a shame if that's what he wants to do, to just do Daredevil over again with Batman. Yeah, I understand that. What I was going to say was an idea that I know got Zach very excited in our email thread earlier today was to have and, – and and then Vince put the cherry on top of this idea. Somebody said Bendis on Green Lantern, and then Vince had said Bendis on Green Lantern and Green Lantern Corps, kind of the way he did the Avengers and New Avengers or the way he's doing the two Iron Man books right now. You know, Bendis likes to have those two books that can kind of cross over and, and – uh, and focus on slightly different angles of the same idea. And so I think the Green Lantern books need a shakeup. I think the Green Lantern books could work with that structure again, especially because you already have two Lantern books now. So essentially you would you could just you could just turn them over to Bendis, although I I I feel like Bendis is getting all number ones, don't you guys? Yeah. Oh, they would get relaunched, but we would get two. Yeah. yeah. I- I did like the idea. Somebody, somebody from Multiversity had the idea that he would take over action after 1000. Yeah, I kind of liked that idea quite a bit. But why do you like that idea? It just seem that seems like the same thing that you're sort of talking about, except that it's using a really momentous occasion to also supplement that. Okay. I just want to get Green Lantern out of that. <laughs> that dark, dark hole it's in right now. Yeah, and, and I think that if you're going to try and rehabilitate that character for a potential new movie or something like that, Bendis, he's the safest bet to do that, right? I mean, unless you're bringing Johns back to that to those books, I think Bendis is the safest bet to do that. Which I feel like would be a horrible... I mean, like, I, you know... As much as I love that, I feel like bringing Johns back to Green Lantern would be like bringing Bendis back to Avengers or like, you know, or the Defenders book that he's doing right now. It's like he's written those characters for hundreds of issues. Yeah. What more can he have to say? 
but he might have a lot to say about Simon Baz. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh boy, oh boy. Um, One of the other ideas that I I think could be potentially interesting... Well, first of all, I want to say that sort of everybody thinks it's going to be a Gotham book. Our pal Benjamin Birdie of Multiversity thinks it's going to be a Bendis Maliev Catwoman book. Mm. And that seems like a very good bet to me. Um, Something that might happen. Uh, What else out there? A few folks said JSA or Legion. Um, I believe it was Greg Elner had said to give him Duke Thomas. I think that's kind of an interesting idea too, although I doubt Snyder would let Duke go. Um, But I understand why that might be an interesting idea. But I think, you know, one of the cool things about bringing in Bendis is that if Bendis is a pet character that he wants to work on, I think at least for the first couple of years, he's going to get a chance to work on whatever characters he chooses. And so, you know, uh, there was a bleeding cool article today about how at a convention in the early 2000s, he was asked this, if you ever worked for DC, who would you write? And he said Zatanna. Mm. And so, you know, maybe there's a character out there like that that wouldn't be getting an ongoing if not having DC's newest superstar pitching for it. So I'm kind of hoping that we get a, a book or two like that. Just stuff that he that he'd like to do. And also, like, Zatanna, I guess you could say Doctor Strange is the Marvel equivalent. But to me, those characters are so different. So this isn't something... He wouldn't just be replicating something that either he did at Marvel or that he could do at Marvel. You know what I mean? Zatanna seems like a... Zatanna, like Superman, seems like something that really couldn't be faked at Marvel. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that... Uh, the more I think about that, the more I really like that idea, because Zatanna is, you know... She is a, a magic character, but she could... She, she like, has a lot of, like intersectionality you know with other things like she could do some you know like new york street level stuff she can be you know she can pretty much be whatever you want her to be and in a way you know she's not tied to a particular kind of story yeah backwards bendis speak yeah (laughs) (laughs) is that what you were gonna say pretty much yeah um i was also gonna say i just got a very bad feeling that bendis is gonna be relaunching the the hellblazer for uh hellblazer for vertigo oh (sighs) i I mean it can't be any worse than thing famous last words yeah no zach you're right also, I have to admit, like, I've never been the biggest Hellblazer fan, so if he went over and did that, I would, wouldn't get in my way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's easier to compartmentalize that out of your pull or out of your reading list than, uh, right. than some of the other stuff. He's yeah. going to be the fifth co-writer on Sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what that book's called? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Insert... Brian's Paul Giamatti joke. <laughs> yep. I try to think of a new one, uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he's not drinking uh, any fucking Merlot. Um, yeah. All right. So I guess I have one more question for you guys, and then we can wrap up, or if you guys want to keep going, if you have something else to talk <laughs> about, we can. Fo- folks. Folks. Oh, oh, oh no, we're, we're going to end with that. We're going to end with that. <laughs> I have a question before that. Don't, don't, don't shoot the info roar, uh, 
wad before it's time. Um, so, uh, I was talking about this with, with Matt Garcia earlier today. How long does this last for? I, I see this, even if this is, quote, long-term, is there any doubt that he goes back to Marvel at some point? Oh, I don't think he's ever going back to Marvel. You're you're joking, right? No, no I don't I, think he will. Really? I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say never, but not in like the, you know, he may go there for like his twi- some Twilight stuff after he's not doing regular work anymore. Right, like when he's you know, but, when he's Keith Giffen. Yeah, when he's Keith, yeah when he's uh, when he's Neil Adams. When he's Neil Adams. Oh, and yeah. boy, he is going to have a Neil Adams period. Oh, yes, he, he is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mark Wolfen maybe even would be like a better. Sure. He's yeah. going to be he's going to be writing Luke Cage books when he's 80, you know. <laughs> and there's going to be real Luke Cage books going on and no one's going to tell him. Yeah, exactly. They're going to say, we promise yours are the ones. No, I, I, I'm, I'm going to call it right now. He's at Marvel in five years. No. no. All right. If he's we... not at DC. He will have either started his own weird thing or he'll be back at, he'll be just doing like image or something. Uh, we're going to make a bet and the DC three has to stay together for at least five more years. <laughs> okay. That's fine by me. All right. Aside from my marriage, you guys are the most stable thing in my life. So, <laughs> Oh, Ryan. Yeah. You're my bros. What can I say? That's so nice. That's so sweet to hear. You know, I never hear you say it. It's... Of course, yeah. I'm always, I'm always just saying this dead weight's holding me down. Yeah, he gets off on being withholding. <laughs> <laughs> Eat shit. Uh, I've never cared for Vince. You <laughs> 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 <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> fuckers gonna kill me. Um. No, I really, I really do think this is a, this is a, uh, I think he'll be at DC like the same length that Kirby was at DC before he went back to Marvel. Okay. All right, we'll make that bet for a dollar right now. Sure. You're gonna say in five years. I'm okay. So today, I'm gonna say by November seventh, twenty twenty two, he's back at Marvel. All right. And Zach and I are just going to say no. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. We'll still okay. pay out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. 50 cents in five years. That might be like, might be like 250 or something. It's true. Uh, so Vince has a special treat planned for us to end this part of the show, and folks, uh, yeah. So uh, the uh, I think it's pretty well known that you know that you're you're more intelligent, you're more refined, you're more uh, intellectual. Comic readers come to Multiversity, but <laughs> there's a site out there. Wow, you're really <laughs> okay. That. Uh, that once beat Multiversity for an Eisner, and uh, <laughs> and that site is is, is Comic Book Resources, aka CBR.com. <laughs> and uh, let's just say that there are some very well reasoned folks who go over to CBR as well. 
I would I would lie if I said I was never, you know, reading a CBR article. But there's also, shall we say, a uh, a contingent of their readership that perhaps breathes not through their nose. Let's put it that way. Um, and some of the comments on their article about Brian Bendis joining DC, which, by the way, went up after Multiversities, just saying, um, were, were quite interesting. And so we're bringing back an old friend, Info Rorschach, to uh, to... to to deliver in his dulcet tones some of these comments for us. So, uh, Mr. Kovacs, take it away. Uh, folks, DC was doing so well, and now they hired this man, this man that looks like a turtle. He's almost completely hairless. I stopped for a moment to think if it was April Fool's Day. It was, in fact, November. Here's the news from 2019. Batman comes out as gay. (laughs) And he's soon replaced by a completely new character that no one has heard of until it's announced that he or she's the replacement. And also the Justice League breaks up after being destroyed, after Zatanna goes insane and changes reality. Superman is now... A wisecracking hustler who quips all the time. And Green Lantern is a comedy street-level book. And Duke, of course, becomes Batman. Gotta have a black Batman now. (laughs) Joe Quesada doesn't have a butt boy anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. This This is not, folks. Folks, this is not good. The last thing DC needs is to start bringing in cucks. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. It says, I'm reading on this site that the last thing that DC needs is to start bringing in cucks. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> All right, uh, there's one more. One more here. Oh, great. More liberal, PC, social justice warrior propaganda crap getting spewed on DC coming from a washed-up writer. Now, folks, top scientists and researchers agree we are being hit by toxic weapons in the food and water supply that are making us fat, sick, and stupid. It's time to fight back with Brain Force Plus from InfoWars and InfoWars Life the next generation of advanced neural activation and nootropics. <sighs> That's all I've got. I'm a little mad you didn't save the cucks one for last. I should have, but I was going chronologically. Yeah. That was a really great one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's something Info Rorschach would say. It is. It is. It's it... perfect. Well... Anyway, stay tuned for the DC3 cast after this word from uh, one of the other podcasts on the Multiversity comments. From Brainforce Plus. <laughs> sure, from Brainforce Plus. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. 
along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. Cast. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. I am Brian. We're going to talk about this week's DC Comics in just a minute. But first, we're going to talk about Watchmen. We're doing a reread of Watchmen leading up to Doomsday Clock, which launches later this month. And so today we're talking about issues four through six. Uh, we're going to start talking about issue four, which is the Extra Manhattan um, sort of origin comic, which deals with a number of different timelines. And before we start recording, Zach mentioned this is maybe one of the top ten single issues of all time. And I think we're all in agreement with that. What is it about this issue that for you guys makes it so um, just so memorable and so great? Well, I think it 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 kind of tells this complete origin story, which is something that you see you see this all the time in uh, comics and particularly miniseries too. You know, you may have a uh, six, eight, twelve issue miniseries and and a lot of times they take one issue out to tell the origin of whatever character you're you're following, whether it's the first issue or it happens halfway through or something, you know. And um, the fascinating thing about this is that it's the fourth chapter of Watchmen, and they're giving you this origin of Doctor Manhattan, and but they're doing it in such an artful way, playing with time back and forth, and that's an aspect of his character. But it also is an aspect of what we said last week about Watchmen, which is that there are so many different techniques you uh, being used that are unique. It can only really uniquely be done in the comic book medium. And I feel like, you know, yeah, you have flashbacks, flash forwards in movies and TV shows and things like that. You know, the Watchmen movie attempts this sequence and it does, you know, I think that's one of the sequences that, that the movie does a pretty good job with, all things considered. But you cannot still replicate the way that this story is told uniquely in the comic book media. There's there's no way to do it the unique way that a comic book delivers this exact concept to you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're dealing with, like, snapshots of time, and what better way to do that than, like, actual images you know like static pictures panels yes like even when you know in the movie when it's acted out like you are having passage of time and Mm -hmm. so you can you can move back and forth between different periods in time but in doing so like they aren't coexisting you know exactly and and the way that they coexist on the page and they each have their own rhythm and their own actual actual amount of time spent in any given scene whereas in the comic it's panel by panel and you you are given you know so many of these throughout Watchmen so many single panels uh, that are taken out of context of time are iconic and full stories in their own way Um, 
and that's an effect that the movie can't give you because the movie gives you, okay, this this part of the flashback is 45 seconds long. This part is a minute and a half. Whatever. It's varying varying amounts of time for what in the comic is a panel or maybe a short series of panel, but but the way that Watchmaker gives it to you in this chapter is pretty much panel by panel and it's flashing, you know, it's constantly flashing between these different scenes. You know, all of a sudden it's the scene of him with his hands on uh, Laurie's face and then all of a sudden it's something else, you know, and, 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 and yeah, it's, it's the, it's the, in a movie, there's a specific number of seconds that this scene is going to take. Whereas when you're reading a comic, you can spend as much or as little time on that panel as you want. And then when you move on, it's the next scene. It's a new scene. And, uh, and there's also, also in the film, you know, it's pretty clear when you're going from one scene to another where you're going. Whereas in this chapter, 90% of the time you can guess, but sometimes it's like, you know, okay, where is this? How do I, what do I grab onto to decide where this fits in the timeline? You know? Um, yeah. It's really remarkable. Yeah. And, and what's, you know, this is maybe the single chapter of this book, but also maybe the single issue that I can think of that really un- unfolds so much more the more that you read it. And you start to because the first time you're reading it, you're just trying to understand what's happening. Not that it's overly obtuse and confusing, but you know there is all this jumping around at times. So you're you're kind of following the plot, and as you read it more and more, you just start to notice those little details. Like here's a detail that I noticed this read through, which I'm sure is plainly obvious to everybody, but I don't notice it till now. You notice Doctor Manhattan's costume changes over time, like his his like official like superhero costume. I didn't realize that at the end it was a thong. <laughs> that didn't occur to me either until he was like standing backwards and I was like, huh, there's his butt. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> but, it, but it's like, it's such a little difference. Like he starts off in a full suit and then he has like a tank top and, and just shorts. Then it's just the shorts and then it's just the thong and then eventually he's naked. And, uh, like that, that detail probably doesn't matter all that much, but it talks about sort of his distance from humanity and you know his, what you know his is caring less and less about what's appropriate, or what's what what he's supposed to be doing. He's changing in that way. It's a tiny detail that you know I've probably read this book ten times now. I never noticed the thong until the tenth read through, and that's not to say that that it's the most important detail you can find, but just the fact that there's so much in this one issue that you can be finding new things in the 10th or 12th reread of it mm-hmm. is, is pretty uh, astounding. Yeah. Uh, John Osterman, fashion icon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so just curious, is there anything here in this chapter that maybe um, like raises any flags or, or, Anything in terms of Doomsday Clock? I kind of thought about that and then decided that there. I I did I did think like I wonder if Gary Frank is going to have to draw the big uh, Watch Palace at the end. I, I found myself thinking that, but I didn't think anything plot wise mm-hmm. would feed too much into it. 
the only thing I I thought of, um, and it's it's a line that I actually thought about before rereading this, but rereading it, it came to me is there's a line in when um, when Manhattan first appears after being after sort of coming back together where somebody says the Superman is real and he's American. Mm. And I, I feel like, you know, that's an obvious line that's going to come back into Doomsday Clock. That would be a good somehow. one. Somehow. That would be a good one to apply to Superman, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This one, um... Yeah. Man, I wish I could find it. I should have tabbed it uh, beforehand, but this chapter has, like, my... One of my favorite lines, um... I don't know if I can find it. We can talk, and I'll, if I see it, I'll chime back in. Um, is, is it just me, or is this... Like, we were gushing about the first three issues last week. But to me, this is when the series really kicks into gear. Th- these these three issues are, are each, like, powerhouses in their own right. I mean, we'll get to the next ones, but they're... they're... The next one is, you know... I would say just as iconic from an art perspective. I don't know this. I don't know if the story is as all-encompassing and satisfying as in Chapter Four, but it's the one everyone talks about when they talk about the art tricks that Watchmen is, you know, and uh, Dave Gibbons are capable of, you know. The mm-hmm. Yeah. Symmetry. Yeah, that that gets brought up a lot. I found the line. It's the it's the it's on page twenty-five. If you, I think most of them have page numbers um but it's the bottom right uh, bottom left hand panel that i'm tired of this world these people i'm tired <laughs> of being caught in the tinkle of their lives yeah <laughs> yep that's the, i think that all the time <laughs> that's the great uh that's the great uh iphone uh yes uh screensaver or whatever you call it yeah, background yeah <laughs> the alert trick thing yeah yeah <laughs> That's right. Um, so let, let, let's get into issue number five uh, for a second here. Um, Vince, you alluded to the art tricks. What What is your favorite thing that Gibbons does in issue five? Well, so if anyone, for anyone listening that doesn't know what this what this issue does, it's it's called Fearful Symmetry, which is a line from uh, uh, The Tiger by William Blake, which is the poem... There's a couple lines from the poem that uh, Moore ends the issue with. And quite literally, there's artistic symmetry throughout this issue. Not, I mean, oftentimes panels are mirror images of one another themselves, but a lot of times it's just thematic. Like, um, uh, for example, uh, where the, the, the halfway point of the issue is this double page spread where um, uh, Adrian Veidt is in a fight and that's where the that's where the division happens so everything before that is a mirror image of everything that comes after the panel structure specifically so if you look at a panel that's you know if you're thinking about the nine panel grid there are panels that are take up two of those panels that will be reflected in the next half of the issue um, there's some scenes specifically, there, there's some pages where we're getting into the Tales of the Black Freighter comic. And the interesting thing that the, this issue does is 
there's a page in the first half of the comic where it's showing panels switching between your Watchmen story and your Tales of the Black Freighter story. And if you look at the corresponding page in the second half of the issue, those panels are inverted. So the panel layout is the same, but every panel that had a Tales from the Black Freighter uh, visual on the front half of the issue has a Watchmen visual on the back half and vice versa. It's a mirror image, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, right. And um, and oftentimes that's used to thematic effect. So like um, there's uh, at one point um, Rorschach is looking at his mask in, and then the corresponding panel in the second half of the issue is him taking off his mask and looking at it again. You know, so it's like he puts it on and takes it off and it's the exact corresponding panel from the first half to the second half. And just the planning that that must have taken, you know, <laughs> and I really appreciated it more in the second or third. I don't know how many times I've read Watchmen twice or three times or whatever, but in this final uh, last read through that I did of it, just the appreciation that I had for the trick that was going on here. I never noticed the, some of the thematic elements that were at play, you know, um, I was told and to me, that's, that's more impressive than the like physical planning. Although that is also impressive, but just the fact that they're able to thematically mirror each other is so much harder than just having a piece of paper that says like panel one needs to be this panel 43 needs to be this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of more like, you know, the, um, I mean, I guess I haven't like gone back through and researched it, but the whole thing about um, Omega Men, what was the thing with it? Oh, where... it was going to be an Omega symbol when you put all of the panels to. If you put all like, what was it, twelve issues? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you laid out all twelve issues in individual pages or something, it would make an Omega symbol. Yeah. Which so, is like somebody's got to prove that that's real. <laughs> which yeah, that's more like a feat of you know the the engineering side, but it doesn't have the you know the thematic element to really go with it. Right, right. Which is the difference there. Um, this chapter really, or this issue really doubles down on the Black Freighter thing, uh, comic mm -hmm. and. That's something with Watchmen that I've always kind of like felt a little dumb about because I it's like an interesting thing, but I've never quite understood the um I guess like the relevance exactly. Like I, I guess like you're dealing with some similar similar ideas there's some like terminology and uh, some wordplay that kind of gets tossed around a little bit but mm -hmm. I, I I've never really understood the importance or the relevance of the Black Freighter story well um, I think so surface surface level the idea is just that in the world of Watchmen um, people aren't reading superhero comics they're reading pirate comics because, well right yeah right which yeah. i'm sure i'm sure you understand that part i've read 
I've read a little bit of what Moore has said about this, and the the problem that I think some people have with it is that, and I, I I'm gonna admit that I'm not like a huge fan of the Black Freighter stuff. Like I appreciate the effort, but like I don't really think it comes together. But the the explanation given is that it mirrors different experiences of the different characters of Watchmen at different times. So the the obvious one is the sacrificing of the bodies to build a ship to sh- sail to safety, you know? And mm-hmm. that's essentially what uh, Adrian White ends right, up doing. Does, yeah. yeah, so so that's the parallel there. But then there are some smaller parallels, like at times the story relates to Rorschach's mindset. And I can't think of anything specific that... Um, is an example of that, but I, I just know that Moore said that. Like, there's there's a little bit of Rorschach in there. There's a little bit of uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre. You know, they're, they're, it's parallels um, of different aspects of Watchmen rather than one cohesive one-to-one uh, metaphor, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem because sometimes the metaphor is really clear, like with the the Vite stuff and other times it's a little murky and because it's not a one-to-one comparison, I appreciate that because then it doesn't hit you over the head and it's not like a ham-fisted attempt at symbolism. But at the same time, it's also at times it's like, uh, is the payoff to figuring out what this is supposed to relate to really worth it in the end? And I would argue that I, I don't really think it is, but See, it's it's funny you guys are saying this because my first like three or four times reading, and it, it sounds like I maybe have read this book more times than you guys have, yeah. but I, I will say that I when I I read it like five or six times in the first year I owned it, like in college, um, I got kind of obsessed with it for a bit, and I did not understand a lot of the greater sort of significance of it when I was when I was younger either. I, I thought it was a good comic, but I didn't. It was just different. Anyway. Um, I feel like the first couple of times you're reading it, the Black Freighter stuff gets in the way of the story. Like, you, you want to find out what's happening to these characters, and you're bogged down in this comic you don't give a shit about. But reading it the last couple of times that I've reread Watchmen, I have come to appreciate it way, way more. And I don't know if that's just me being uh, older and so having, you know, a better... Um, a better tolerance for that sort of stuff or if it's uh you know, or what it is but but i i especially this read through i really enjoyed it i'm enjoying it so far more than i have in the past let's put it that way yeah yeah i yeah um this issue is you know as, as you said vince like probably artistically the most impressive issue from a sort of a layout and sort of planning standpoint. But I think it, it somewhat becomes from a storytelling perspective or not from a, from a plot perspective, the weakest of the three that we read because the other two are just so important to the, to the characters that, that, that become iconic and the two really iconic characters from Watchmen are Rorschach and Dr. Manhattan. And this is where we find out so much about them. Right. Yeah. And, and I think 
you know, just it is weird um, kind of how approaching the book this time, how I feel about Rorschach and like in the, you know, I guess it's been almost 10 years since I last read this book coming up on not quite, I guess it's more like seven or eight, but regardless, like he's much less like, I, I don't know. Like, I think when I was younger, I probably fell more into like the grim gritty. Like I, you know, I, I didn't like love that stuff. Like I, I didn't think like, Oh man, the Punisher is so cool. He kills people. But you know, I probably thought that that's had more like depth and nuance than it actually did. Um, and, you know, on one hand, like this read through Rorschach is like very much, I mean, he, we make fun of the like info Rorschach thing, but he like 100% is that. Um, but <laughs> just the way he questions people for being homosexual, possibly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, oh, and, and one thing <laughs> I thought of, um, are either of you guys fans of the office or have you watched the office? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know the episode where Kevin stops using, um, like, he only speaks in, like, one-syllable words? <laughs> and it, like, yeah. it's, like, in the cold open. Um, Rorschach, like, totally does that in this. Like, he, like, <laughs> leaves out, like, like, you know, like, V's and A's and, like, short, like, he just truncates everything when he talks. And now I can't, I can only think of that cold open <laughs> with Kevin. Okay, so um, Rorschach is Kevin. Um... <laughs> Um, well, I obviously, um, Night, Night Owl, Owl is totally Jim. Yeah. 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 Night yeah. Owl is so always looking at the camera. That makes Silk Spectre Silk Pam. Spectre, which makes Dr. Manhattan Roy. <laughs> <laughs> or he, Dr. Manhattan could be the camera guy from the later seasons when we oh, find yeah. out. Because then you get into like the meta angle of it. That's, I the like camera that. camera guy is the. That's not peak office, but I think that's the best fit. I think that's yeah. That's I think that's right. Uh, Michael Scott. Oh, he's uh, he's Hollis Mason. He uh, <laughs> he's like he wants the spotlight. Yeah. He wants you know he uh, he makes a big deal of his retirement. Um, so so is Dwight Ozymandias? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dwight, we miss it? Dwight is kind of Rorschach too, though. Like he's the, yeah, he like, he's the yeah. cop. He's the like the cop side of Rorschach. Like yeah, um, he's like Rorschach, but for back when he's just pretending to be Rorschach. He's pretending yeah. to be Rorschach, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yep, there you go. Stan, <laughs> Stanley, Stanley is the uh, newspaper guy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, who's Toby Flanderson? Jeez, <laughs> Toby is the worst. I hate so much about what he chooses to be toby's moloch okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's twisted oh uh, i know so the only so one we, the only thing we don't have is a comedian we, well, before we wrap up this i mean to be fair michael scott should be the comedian just like because he, he fancies himself a comedian yeah but, that's true know. that's true he's also a monster so <laughs> If you don't think so, rewatch the Scott's Tots episode. <laughs> <laughs> or the um or the, the dinner episode the uh what's it Party called? one? Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Where uh, where Jan is doing what is what is the song she's singing? Oh it's uh Oh it's like the intern song, right? Or that, that uh We're getting into the office weeds here. Let's pull out. Pull out. <laughs> okay. Um, 
abort. Oh, I don't even remember um, what I was saying. But I think uh, I I don't remember where I was at my point. But what I was getting to is, I, you know, how do how does someone react to just like the the worst of humanity, like being presented with just something that is just so awful that you can't even really process it? Dude, that's um, every day of my life right now, Zach. Well, I mean, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, Zach, most of these uh, horrible events are just false flags perpetrated by the government. So, uh, really, we just need to rise up in the face of uh, adversity and. <laughs> Did I lose you? <laughs> No, I, I was waiting for the punchline there. I was waiting for you to finish that off. I don't have anything. There, um, no. Dr. Manhattan is just a libtard in blue paint. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Uh, all right. Uh, anything else to say about these three issues? They're really good. They are. Did you guys uh, indulge in any of the back matter or no? Never. I didn't. No, I think I maybe. I think maybe once we're finished with all this, I might just like go through and read it all, like in a. I was thinking the same setting. thing. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll pr- I'll promise to do that if we get Doomsday Clock to uh, Electric Boogaloo. Okay. Um. I, again, I think I might have said this last week. I'm very glad that the back matter exists, and I think the first time you read it, it's really enriching to the story. But I think after that first time, it's pretty much unnecessary. Mm. Yeah, and even might be unnecessary the first time. I don't know. Well, I don't. I don't know if I said this last week, but you really don't need that stuff. Like this, it's Watchmen is so good as a comic that you really don't need that back matter. You know, it suggests enough to you in the body of the comic that anything you learn in the in the you know literature in the back is just more specific um, sort of trappings to things that you already kind of know or can or can kind of infer, you know? Or, or they're not necessary at all. So... I don't disagree with that. I just... I, I, I tend to take, like, the, 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 um, the, the chef's approach here where, like, when you go out for dinner, the dish is prepared the way the chef thinks it should be eaten. Yeah. And you should trust the chef in that in that situation, you know, um, and I feel like if if more who if more Gibbons who clearly considered this comic, you know, extraordinarily so, if they feel like this stuff is worthwhile, I think it's 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 you owe it to the creator to give them the shot, mm-hmm. not to read it a second or third time, but you know, at least that first time, I think you owe it to them to give it to to experience it the way that they want you to experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Well, that's um, that's a wrap for issues four through six. Next week, we will tackle issues seven through nine. We may or may not have uh, another Multiversity staff member sitting in with us for that show. We had a request for uh, a guest spot. We'll see if it happens or not. But uh, we'll be back in just a second with this week's Rebirth titles. Oh, Rebirth and more, I should say. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of bullshit coming up, folks, so uh, strap in. <laughs> Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. 
Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. All right, we're back with this week's comics, and it's a doozy of a week, folks. Uh, we're going to start with Bane Conquest. I'm just going to ask the question. I know Zach didn't even bother to open the PDF. I didn't even <laughs> crack it. I yeah. didn't even download it from the drive. Wow. Okay, there we go. Um, Vince, what the hell is happening in this book? Um, I actually I could tell you what's happening in this book. No, I, so could I, but, but <laughs> is any of it worth reading? No, absolutely not. Um, uh, there's a part it, early on in the issue that made me laugh out loud but not for the reasons that i think were intended bane is like screaming they're on this like gunship or they're on this like little uh life raft or something and and uh bane is firing this like huge automatic rail gun or something uh at the enemies or something and he's he's saying rapido trog rapido (laughs) and uh and the guy who's like piloting this getaway boat says, uh, "I am moving Rapido Bane, but this is a sea craft, remember?" And they're like perched on the edge of this submarine, not going anywhere. And I'm like, so all that stuff about Bane, like, actually, you know, people think of Bane as like stupid, but you know, writers always try to remind you that no, he's actually smart too. Yeah. In this nope, book in, in this book he's just a total dumbass. Like yeah. he gets tricked later in the issue in like to giving up like the one thing that he was like the MacGuffin of this entire story um is this baby and he gets tricked into giving it up at the end in <laughs> like it's basically like hey Bane look over there. Yeah. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> Yoink. Um no, so uh, this book features the most obnoxious trope that, that stories love, which is that a baby's going to be born with a tattoo or a birthmark <laughs> that is going to identify it. And all I can think of whenever this happens is from uh, the naked gun. I believe it's 33 <laughs> and a third when the guy has the birthmark of Whistler's mother on his butt. <laughs> like, that, that's literally all I can think of when that plot comes up in any media anymore. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I hate that trope. It's so lazy. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> this comic also features, um, so, albeit it's very small and in the background, but uh, full topless nudity in a teen plus comic. So they're just little dots for nipples, but they're there. So I'm not, I'm to, our, sure. to our 12-year-old listeners without an internet connection, you're welcome. <laughs> we just hooked you up. <laughs> hey, the uh, Vince from 1992 would have thought that this was rad. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let let let's get to the main chorus here, boys. Uh, Batman number 34, written by Tom King, illustrated by Joel Jones. Uh, hey Zach. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sword? Do I have a sword? Do you have a sword? 
Uh, I don't have the issue pulled up in front of me yet, so I can't respond. <laughs> it Bri- just, it's just, it's just, Bri- it doesn't matter. Brian, just, do you have a sword? I do now. <laughs> uh, I couldn't hear Talia saying that. And again, I, I'm sorry to our listeners. This is a joke going directly to Vince. I couldn't not hear Norm MacDonald doing <laughs> David Letterman. Hey, you got a sword? Yeah. You got any sword? You got a sword? Can you imagine such a thing? Yeah. That's all I could hear. That's all I could hear in this issue. Um, Arliss. So, yeah. but, but you all know what? This, this is also this is the same thing as the, the stand thing you know <laughs> yes yeah stand it standing it is yeah it's the exact same thing yeah can we, can we um, talk about how uh catwoman and batman bicker like no couple has ever bickered anywhere ever tom king must have like a perfect relationship <laughs> with whoever he's with because he's never bickered before <laughs> um so there were a couple of things in this that I was like, oh, that's a, that's a that's a that's a nice little beat. Like I, I thought that um, Batman noticing that they don't have tongues is like a, a very Batman detective thing to do. Like he notices their faces are slightly off, and that's because they don't have tongues. Like that was that's a, that's a nice bit of characterization. But then like a panel later, he says something stupid. Like there's a point where he goes full on like rambly explaining guy in a uh like um a slapstick comedy from the 40s where he's like she's not she's just someone i once was most dangerous woman alive <laughs> like he's just trying to like make an excuse for why he knows her mm-hmm. like it's just it's the most screwball comedy thing you can imagine <laughs> and there's moments in this book where he just he just talks like he's like a babbling moron this is not the same batman from two issues ago it's not. It's, it's a totally the, different. The ladies. It just. They just. He doesn't know how to talk to girls. I guess not. <laughs> He's so tsundere. <laughs> oh. Um. So this issue had two good panels. Um. It's the, the two panels the at Dick the end and, of the uh, Dick and Damien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole sequence isn't great because it's still like this weird Damien that isn't really Damien. Yeah. But those two yeah. panels are... Yeah, thank you, Richard, for coming when others would not, and for this. And then he yeah. says, you and me, kiddo, from the beginning all the way to the end. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, that's good. That's, yeah, that, that was great. There it is. Um, uh, I also think that Tom King, like, he's writing... He writes characters figuring out things long after they should have already had them figured out. Like when, uh, like when Catwoman's like, uh, oh... We're here for the X, aren't we? It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, <laughs> and she you... shows up and she's like, the X. Yeah. Like, yeah, fuck yes, the X. <laughs> yeah, like, and then she's like, yeah, she is. Yeah, it's this extremely attractive uh, woman in the desert who appears to be the leader of this clan of assassins. That's probably the X, right? Like, of course that is. This is Batman you're with, you know? <laughs> like, like. Not only that, I feel like. Maybe this hasn't come up. Wouldn't you think Catwoman would already be aware that if Batman has a son, wouldn't she have already asked him who the mother is until this point? Like she would be like, "Hey, we're in the desert, halfway around the world. By the way, who'd you bone down with to make the kid? Like that? Wouldn't that have come up at some point? Or like just the number of times that Talia has been involved in Gotham and and Batman's affairs, and like, 
Yeah. It, yeah. Like, like it just—it was just a goofy. It's a goofy way of writing that I think is like intended to be comedy. Like, oh, we're gonna have her like, uh oh, she realized it's the axe, you know. But like, <laughs> oh, gime. <laughs> Another yeah. obscure Simpsons joke, folks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I um, I do want to say that Joel Jones is doing really really nice work on this book and oh, it makes the book yeah cool. that that one the back-to-back um full page yes. panels of them like with their backs to each other yep that, that's very good man aren't you guys so glad that uh the desert batman is canon now like in the comics <laughs> it was a cool duster <laughs> i believe it's an it's always sunny in philadelphia thing to say that a duster always makes you look cooler so um Yes, I'm. I'm very glad that Ben Affleck is uh, is Batman in in DC. This, this Superman is also like pretty Henry Cavill too. He kind of is same physicality, yeah. Yeah, for sure, I can see that. I actually did like um, the Damien thing. He that Damien says to Superman, which is everyone fighting to a kryptonite. I'd use magic. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something Damien would actually say. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Damien reminds me of, like, the guys on the internet who are like, uh, actually, Kryptonite's not Superman's only weakness. It's also yeah. magic. Um, yeah, Joel Jones is so good. Oh, man. Man, now I want a book that's just, like, Damien on the internet. Like, <laughs> like one of those, like, the anime that are really popular now where it's just like people playing MMO games. <laughs> yeah, like I want yeah. that. And it's just like Damien in an MMO. It would, it would exactly be that gif from, uh, uh, Cromarty high where it's the guy on the internet, like getting owned and being like, <laughs> bastards, you've, you've taken my honor or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brian doesn't. No, I know. It's cool, though. I'm all right. Just hanging out here, getting ready to talk about Batman the Devastator. Oh, boy. Do we have to? We do. Let's get into it. Guys, I kind of like this issue. Uh, Batman the Devastator, written by Frank Thierry and James Tynan, illustrated by Tony Daniel. And uh, this is essentially, um, what if Batman got the Doomsday Virus, but could Mm. control it? Yeah. There, I've saved you twenty pages. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I was. Can I say I was really surprised that Jurgens wasn't writing this? Like, why wasn't Jurgens writing this? Yeah. You know he's jealous. He's probably furious about it. He walks into the dealer's office and just keeps pointing at him. <laughs> that's that's a deep cut. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Long time uh, listeners will understand that. Yes, they will. Um, I did kind of like how Lobo was thrown into the sun, apparently. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that was... A lot of this, I have to wonder, like... It's funny, because I don't... I, I'm, I'm, I've liked a couple of these uh, individual Batman metal comics, but I think, on the whole, they're pretty useless, and I, I wish they didn't do them. Yep. And yet I feel like there's all kinds of, like superficially important stuff happening in them that I feel like mm-hmm. we're just going to, that, that just happened, <laughs> you know, like Lois, right, right. 
Let, let yeah. Lois be affected with the doomsday virus and putting John in a safe room? I, I feel like that's either the most important thing that's ever happened to her or something we'll never see again. <laughs> we'll never deal yes. with it again. And she was yeah. cured by Mo. <laughs> DC3 Guest listeners, if you haven't watched the first 10 seasons of The Simpsons, pause the show now, go watch them and come back. It will it will make every third thing I say make sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that was good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but, but Zach, yeah. you, Zach, you liked this, though. I thought it was kind, fun. Kind of. I thought it was, I kind of, I thought it, like, I think for the same reasons that maybe, like, it is like superficially important. There are a few like moments that I'm like, oh, that's fun. Like opening up with Lobo and having like was the fun. whole Superman family show up, you know, Superwoman and Guardian and all of them. That was kind of fun. The bits with Lois were good. Um, I actually have almost no problem with the Metropolis stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I'm just I'm so sick of the Batman who laughs showing up. Like at the oh, end he's of the worst. Story. He's just the worst. Yeah. Did you guys hear that he might be the one? They said he's the one character that might stick around post metal. No, please, please, well. please don't do this. Written yeah. by James Tynion. Snyder, um, Snyder, Tynion, if you're listening, please, please don't do it. Um, what's I gonna say? Um, did, did they mean he'll stick around in in future issues of Judge Dredd? <laughs> no. Oh. Oh, I, I, I did it seem to you that this was like pretty much the Injustice universe, like this Earth minus one? It was pretty much Injustice. Oh, that's interesting. Because it was like Superman's evil. He killed the Joker. He killed Lois. All this stuff. Yeah. I, it wasn't like an exact one to one, but it like the similarities were very. They were there. That's interesting. See, I'm 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 so disconnected from Injustice that even though it seems to be a constant reference point and people mm-hmm. find it really popular, I just miss those. Like they just fly right by me. But I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. If it I, I feel I don't know. It will be interesting to see like how many of these plot threads, like the John stuff and the everybody getting turned into doomsdays. If that's carried on into the last three issues of Metal, because you would think yeah. it would be, you think it kind of has to be, but but who knows? Yeah, I'll say this: I think this is probably the the middle of the tie-in issues so far. I, not, not, I agree. Not one of the top couple, not one of the bottom couple. This is right in the middle there. It's yeah. the median, and uh, it's okay. It just again, unless the lowest stuff matters. I feel like this issue didn't really. This could have been summed up in like a, an editorial box, in a comic, or a, or a little bit of, of narration. You know, it could have been figured. It could have been fine, but that's all right. I I also thought some of the Tony Daniel art was a little rough. Am I? Is it just me? No, some of the faces were. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought that most of the stuff looked good like you know technically the anatomy the, the you know the the backgrounds and everything looked really good but there were some faces particularly like lois like anytime he drew lois yeah lois lois doesn't look like lois <laughs> not at all yeah i think it's, i was actually thinking about this the other day i think it's it's very hard to draw lois lane 
because she doesn't have any physical quality that you can like point to aside from dark hair. Yeah, it's hard to draw normal people. Right, exactly, yeah. You know, people who aren't wearing costumes or are aliens or, you know, exactly, yeah. Um, come on, Lois is a dime. Of course she what is. We... <laughs> no, you know who I picture when 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 we talk about Lois Lane? I picture Jurgens. Jurgens. <laughs> drawing i don't picture i don't picture jurgens no 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 i picture you're saying the jurgens like puts a wig on and looks in the mirror like the mona lisa he and that's how he draws uh lois lane yeah. yeah no i picture Jurg- the way that jurgens always drew lois lane and that's going back to the 90s going up with those to... big sunglasses <laughs> yeah no he, and then he did an issue around the convergence era he did like a Lois Lane story that he drew. Somebody else wrote it and he drew it. And when I, th- when I look at that, I think that's Lois Lane. So I can't really describe it because, again, it's still like a very normal person. Right. But like that's Lois to me. And I still picture Marco Kidder from Superman the movie. Ah, uh, indeed. But that's uh, neither here nor there. All right, that I, brings I picture us... Terry Hatcher. Okay. <laughs> uh, I picture uh, Kate Beckinsale. Is that who was? No, uh... no. It was, uh, it was, I, uh... I picture Erica Durance. <laughs> from Smallville. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, who, what... who played her in Superman Returns? Um, Kate Bosworth. Uh, oh, Kate Bosworth. Yeah, I, was gonna, I was about to say Amy Adams. Oops. No, that's <laughs> that, that's that the other deal. thing. Who played yeah. Lex Luthor in Superman Returns? Oh, oh he doesn't oh, exist anymore. play me off boys yeah exactly (laughs) hello my baby hello my honey man everything's bad right including the comics and celebs they're at it again and it's bad I know we're we're out here exposing all the dirt on the comics while everyone else you know that's right folks folks we're out here exposing the dirt the grime You guys gotta start saying something after I'm done with. <laughs> you are correct, sir. I'll just do it, Edmund Man. <laughs> Human crime. Bean <laughs> juice. Punctuating your jokes. Um, all right, let's talk about Batman White Knight by Sean Murphy. Oh man, guys, this is another one. I kind of mm. like this. Okay, no. Li- no, 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 no. Oh. Wait, am I gonna land in between the two of you? Is that what I'm hearing? There is one part of this issue that is so impossibly dumb. Yes. I could not which, get past it. Which one? Which part? The the, the fact that there's, there's a different Harley Quinn he didn't no, realize. No, that's the best part. No. Why do oh. you not like that? <sighs> How do you not like boy. that? How do you not like that? Because it's the because it's the most obvious way to deal with a uh, thematic problem with Harley Quinn. Like, I get what he's doing. I get that he's like, oh, the suicide's... I don't, I don't think it's dealing with a thematic problem, though. I think it's like... I mean, I just think it's a fun way to, like, differentiate Harley's and to just, like, comment on, like... I guess not even comment on, but, like, yeah, totally. The Joker's, like, so out of it, he wouldn't notice that Harley's switched. Like, we'll see. I thought that I... was fine. I liked it. I wish it was more like... I almost wish it was like 
Harley is the Suicide Squad version of Harley until she sees the Joker and then she goes back to being the classic Harley in an attempt to connect with him or something. This weird thing where it's two different people. No, I feel like we've seen that so many times where she just like flip up personalities. I think this makes so much more sense. Honestly, like I like this better. Like, this is a really weird thing to bring into this. You know what this really reminded me of? Have, have either of you guys seen American History X? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm familiar with it. I've never seen okay. it. So the main character, Ed Norton, plays is a white supremacist, and he kills a guy, and goes to prison and comes out. And when he comes out, he goes and he finds his old girlfriend, and she is like – she is not willing to move on. She still wants to be like – she wants him to still be the – the neo-Nazi that he was, and he's like ready to move on. And I got vibes of that in the beginning, but then like the old Harley shows up, and it took away any poignance from that scene. So yeah, I, I am firmly in the this is dumb camp. Nope, I liked it. I thought it was good. I, this is right. the hill I'll die on. Okay. okay. All right. We'll. Yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't. <laughs> I I just don't. Oh, I I'm really surprised that that's the thing oh, in this issue. The, that that's the thing. You know what the man, you know, th- you know there what... are like other things in this issue that I thought were way worse. Like you know what I really whole, like news sequence at the beginning and how many times in this issue they have to drop the terms one percent, ninety nine percent, and social justice warriors. Like <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. like of course it is. Well, that's like. That's just like bad writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I I liked the Harley thing, and I liked all the stuff with Mister Freeze, just because I won't. I I don't. I mean, most of it's just like the iconography and the imagery. Like I I read that section and I heard like the Victor Freeze from the animated series, and it mm-hmm. was just so good. And like I could hear that voice just clearly. Um. And, I, and, like, this is, like, I'm telling you, like, I said it in the first issue, and I'll say it again now. If this was, like, a status quo for Mr. Freeze, like, in continuity, it would be the best. Yeah. I would love this. Where he, like, unfreezes, and he's old, and he's, like, engaging with the Bat family, and, like, things are, like, this is really, this is a good idea. Yes. I agree with that. Yes, so. I I loved the I loved the Mister Freeze stuff. I loved the stuff at the end where it played back to um, almost got him the episode of the animated series. That was really fun to watch all the villains sitting around and and how how this cured Joker is going to deal with that. I really dug that idea. The Harley thing, just like if you would have just skipped buy that and and it would have been classic like animated series harley reconnecting to me that would have been so much better um i i'm not gonna argue the point anymore i just it didn't work for me at all agreed um and then that's that i agree with you 100 percent, zach about all that stuff all that like political stuff wedged in there and i think the reason why i hate it not not only just because it's like a it's a very old hat thing at this point to have somebody call uh, i mean oliver queen has been calling himself a social justice warrior for two years now in, in rebirth and uh well i'm all for social justice when they use 
these terms in comics, it always comes off as... Uh, it cheapens it. It cheapens it. It's really... it's Yeah, it's odd. It... it, it and and I oftentimes can't tell whether they're yeah it feels very tossed off when they use it it is cheap and I also feel like well the Joker is being set up as this guy that we're told wants to do good and but he's being described as a social justice warrior he's being described as he's working beyond uh on the behalf of the 99%. Well, we don't know where this is going, but what often happens in these kinds of stories is the villain backslides or something happens and that idea gets undermined. So if the Joker is being described using these positive, what are ultimately, you know, noble, it's noble to stand up for the people, you know? If by the end that's undermined, then all this stuff at the beginning makes it kind of look like a joke, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that happens sometimes in stories. And I'm not saying it's going to happen here. Sean Murphy could easily avoid it. He's got four more issues to do so. Or six more, actually. But, I don't know, it always makes it feel like, you know, something's going to come and undermine that. And also, Sean Murphy's art is gorgeous, Look at these first two pages. What are all these word balloons doing on these pages? Yeah. Look at that first page. Oh, my God. Do we need that many words? Well, you know what this is? Like, I think this is this and, like, the news segment on the next page and stuff. Like, this is him doing Dark Knight Returns, you Mm -hmm. know? Well, that was my next comment I was going to say is that he can't tell if he wants to be ripping off – Miller or Burton or the animated series. And like every page he changes his mind mm-hmm. and goes deeper. And to be fair, like in terms of iconic Batman stories and, uh, you know, scenarios to ape, like I understand why those are the three you go with, but it just seems to me like he can't figure out what, what tone he's trying to set. Yeah. And, and when it really works is when I think it embraces the, the animated series side of things. Oh, for sure. Those are my favorite scenes of the issue. I think so too. Yeah. Well, we can agree on that. That's good. Yeah. We can, we can agree on something, something, (laughs) but we don't have to, we don't have to, we don't ever have to agree. No, I love you anyway, Zach. Oh, that's, that's sweet. (laughs) I just, I, I hope for your sake, Zach, that one day you don't wake up to find that, a different Maddie has replaced your Maddie, and you've never, you've never been aware of it for this whole time. Well, I'm, I'm not the Joker yet. You no. work with chemicals. You work with chemicals. <laughs> you are, you're obviously the tallest and most fit of the three of us. So if one of us is going to be a supervillain, it's you. Okay. You, All right. You, fair you, enough. You could be the normal version of the freaking dang Joker, though. Yeah, exactly. Could be. I'm Jack Napier. Yeah, you're Jack Napier. Yeah, exactly. You go to the hospital tomorrow. You're gonna to fall into a vat of drugs. So that's what <laughs> hospitals do. And uh, big, big uh, Dr. Mario style pills. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Blue and yellow. <laughs> yep. And uh, the next thing you know, you're gonna have a, uh, a, 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 you know, a, uh, a tattoo on your forehead, and 
you're gonna kill one of our one of our wards. Did you have a ward, Vince? Do I have a ward? Yeah. Um. No, get one. No, you get one. <laughs> no, that was the Tom King thing. Oh. Do, you have a, do you have a sword? Do you have a ward? I, I, uh, I get it. I think you're trying to have my, my ward be killed by Zach instead of your ward be killed by Zach. So. No. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on to Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands, number, number one. Um, this is uh, one of a number of miniseries that are starting this week. Uh, it's written by Tony Isabella, who is one of the co-creators of Black Lightning. Illustrated by Clayton Henry. He's been doing a lot of good work over at Valiant recently. Mm-hmm. And um, this was not what I expected it to be. This was exactly what I expected it to be. <laughs> it's not this... an origin story, so it's not what I expected oh. it to be. This is uh... This was fine. Yes. I'll argue with that. It was fine in the way that, like, I, I wasn't surprised once by this book at all. Um, even the sort of twist at the end, which puts the hero in a precipitous position, which is that a bunch of murders kind of got hung on his... There's blood on his hands that doesn't really belong there by the end. Mm-hmm. I feel like... I feel like that's something we've seen before. I feel like there there's there's a racial aspect to that that they play up here that I think could potentially be interesting going forward mm-hmm. but as of right now it's not they haven't done much with it yet um because they do they do spend some time in this comic sort of making sure that you kind of know that it's set in the parlance of the times you know and right. and uh and as we know um uh, we've got a big racial problem in this country, you know, with as far as uh, racism and things like that. As um, far as all the racists. Yeah, yeah. As far as the horrible, horrible, virulent racism, that, <laughs> and and a little bit of that peels into here, um, which is why I say like in future issues that could be a, a very interesting take or uh, alley to take this hero down but um but as of right now this was very like paint by numbers oh the superhero's got to put his costume back on and and yeah so there, there were a couple of things about this issue that i that i appreciated um as i mentioned before i appreciate that it's not an origin story that we're coming into this with you know it's not a hard hero to understand power set wise you know so they just you drop him in this is what's happening. It's fine. Um, I liked that there was a reference to Cyborg and the greater DC universe here. So it's we know that Black Lightning has been around for a while and isn't just this like... I feel like every one of these DC miniseries tends to be like a reintroduction to the character and then we have initially see them meet Batman for the first time or something. <laughs> and like, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, and this this isn't that. This is, you're, you're bringing the character already in at least with the like bare essentials of of backstory already in place. Uh so for that reason I I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. It is certainly not a an earth-shatteringly good comic. I wouldn't even say it's a good comic at all. I would say it's a it's a fine it's a fine first issue that has potential to be something more interesting as it goes forward. Mhm. 
And I expected to not like this comic. And I'm a huge Black Lightning mark. So I expected to be let down by this, and I'm I'm pleasantly surprised. You, you just thought it was going to go down that same miniseries pathway that so many others have, right? Exactly, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I like Clayton Henry's art a lot. Um, yeah. I like the character work. There's a particular scene with this uh, Miss Pequod, which is mm-hmm. a, essentially Miss Tessmacher for <laughs> for this... Tessmacher! Uh... <laughs> Miss Pequod! <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, she's she's like this villain's assistant or whatever, and the villain's sister is it shows up and uh, is like yelling yelling at this guy, and he kills her with a model boat, like yeah. a mo- a model battleship, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I got a kick out of Miss um, Pequod like leans over a little bit to the side and like raises an eyebrow. As this lady is getting murked with a toy battleship, <laughs> and I just like the understatedness of her reaction, like as if she's seen that happen a million times before. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was this was this was fine. I'm like actually, I don't know if I'm looking forward to the next issue, but when it comes around, I'm not going to be like, oh, I got to read this for the show, <laughs> you know. This has potential to be a, an interesting miniseries. Yeah. Zach, any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. I felt like I, so one thing. I guess one thought I did have is like, I felt like it was a continuation of something, and it wasn't. You know. Mm. Right, but but I appreciate that. Yeah. Because it is. It's a continuation of like forty years of stories. Right. Even it's, though it's all being reset, it's just, you know, yeah. the basic elements are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that there's going to be an Outsiders book coming out of Metal, and I, I think I think it might actually be billed as Black Lightning and the Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Ooh, who, who, I don't know about who that. Would, who would write and draw that? Well, yeah, I realize, Vince, there's going to be a Black Lightning TV series starting early next year. So yeah. to have to have his name on the book probably is not a bad thing. Okay. Uh, as we're going to write it, I think that might be the Scott Snyder book coming out of Metal. Man, we were Christopher. We I were it was Christopher Priest. Yeah, we were lambasted for saying this earlier. By the way, we we made a it's going to be Duke and the Outsiders remark, and somebody on Multiversity on the comments basically said that Scott Snyder would never wouldn't be caught dead writing a book starring Katana. So we'll see. <laughs> I thought we already called it a win for ourselves though after the uh announcement for the Duke book came out. I mean we, we called it a partial yeah, but uh, look I'm willing to take like seven or eight wins from that one comment. So Okay, sure. Yeah. Um uh I thought the only Snyder book coming out of metal was gonna be Challengers. I believe Challengers is not I, I think I think he he's intimated he'll be doing more than one book after that. That'd be great. I would love it. Yeah. As he hasn't done two two monthly books at DC since he was doing Batman and Swamp Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. I will. Remember, let's... remember remember Superman Unbound or Unchained or whatever? Unchained. Yeah. Unchained. Yeah. I actually uh, I have weird. that I have that trade and I I've been meaning to read it for a long time. I think I read like two issues. 
and then it got Jim Lee delayed. So I don't have ever. No, you're kidding. Yeah, I know. Uh, know. Shit, you not. Well, folks, it's that time. It's time for the worst issue of Rebirth. It's Cyborg number (laughs) eighteen. The Jazzman's final appearance. Blow that horn, baby. The Jazzman went back, died on the way back to his home planet. Right. Guys, this this might be literally the worst single issue of Rebirth. <laughs> Zach, did you read this at all? No. Okay, so definitely not. <laughs> so, so Brian, I'm going to give you my experience with it. I'm going to be brief, and then I want you to tell us why it's the most, why it's the worst issue of Rebirth. Okay. Okay. This was my experience with it, and it was not the only comic for which this happened to me this week, but. Here goes. I opened the comic. I read a couple pages. I nodded off. My iPad, which I used to read these comics, may have scrolled forward a few pages while I was asleep. I woke up, just kept reading from wherever I, I just, you know, unlocked the iPad. I could have missed so much of this. Just kept reading. Fell asleep again. This is not a joke. Woke back up, scrolled to the last page, just read the last page, called it good. <laughs> we got to come up with a name for that. It's not Wilkersoning. It's a. Ostrowski. Everybody out. It's the Ostrowski. <laughs> Everybody out there, including you two, because this, I believe, predates both of your multiversity experiences. You have to Google I, Patrick Tobin, guy used to write for the site, wrote a review of, I want to say it's Deathstroke number three. From the new 52. Oh, I'm familiar. I'm familiar. That essentially is, experiences what you just talked about, Vince. Mm. He's like, wait, I finished reading the book. What happened? It's like this. It's this like existential crisis of reading uh, that issue of Deathstroke. Okay. Uh, it's great. So this is the worst book in Rebirth for a couple of reasons. First of all, there is literally no dialogue in this book. It is all voiceover narration <laughs> from Cyborg. I'm not joking. No, you're There's, not. There is literally no dialogue in this book. And I'm going to put it at a solid 62% of the the voiceover narration is recapping shit that either already happened or you're clearly witnessing happening on the page and does not need voiceover narration. Um... Some of this stuff is so unbelievably hokey that it it's it seems like a joke, but it's not. There there's a couple of moments of like where you're, there's supposed to be some emotional resonance. Like for instance, Variant, who um, you know, who is the the female cyborg. For those that have not been paying attention, she decides she's going to continue to live like in this. Instead of having dialogue between the two of them, they each just monologue for a bit and then hug, and that's it, and kiss, and it's it's so fucking boring. This there are all these incredibly boring things that are happening. It's being over-explained the entire time, and every little bit of the book has to come back and show up and then be over-explained again. Like, there's a character called Black Narcissus, which, um... That is the character's name, right, Vince? I'm getting that right? I believe so, yeah. 
Yeah. And like they've explained in the past why her name is that, but they have to explain it all over again and explain who she is all over again, explain what she's doing there all over again. And the whole book, you could have not read all of Cyborg, just read this book, said this sucks and be done and got just as much out of it as if you read all 18 issues. This is a garbage comic. This is terrible. It is is god awful. If it wasn't for that one Jazzman appearance, I'd have read Jazzman comes back one more time. The worst part is the villain just decides at one point, like, hey, you know what? I was wrong. I'm gonna die now. Peace. And blows up and then takes out all of his like minions with him. And coincidentally, every the whole area had been evacuated. So there's no human casualties. None. That's convenient. Isn't that lucky? Who who is a uh, who is Red Cyborg? And the Jasmine. Yeah, and, and Red Cyborg is Cyborg from inside this virtual world. That's weird. Okay, that's fine. I just I, I just saw that and just like oh who's this guy? And then. I'm just going to read you guys the entirety of the last page. No, I'm not fucking this too much. I'll read you the last, like, five panels here. Um, let's, but I wasn't a monster. I was who I'd always been, and my soul was still intact. In fact, my soul needed the machine to embark on this journey to the next evolutionary step for humankind. It was a journey I relished taking the only way I could. As cyborg. So you see, there's nothing wrong with the end, because with the end comes a new beginning. One might even call it a rebirth. Cyborg man. <laughs> um they also kind he kind of apes the lyrics to closing time at the end here. Uh, <laughs> it's so bad. This is horrible. I feel like what happened here, and I have no proof of this, I feel like John Semper Jr. turned in a draft of the script where it was like an outline, mm. and DC was like, this is good, and he's like, but I haven't written the dialogue yet, like, this is good, and they just took his outline and made it into the uh, the narration. And yet they're not canceling the book. Nope. Superwoman has to die and Cyborg can live. How, yeah, how long, man... Cyborg deserves so much more than this. He's not having his book canceled because he's in the Justice League movie in two weeks. That's why. <laughs> I guess, but he deserves so much more. He's he's a better he character than this. He's a great character. Yeah. But he hasn't been for like six years. No. no. no you're right. He, it's, a, it's a very, very rare case of a fictional character uh, f- like falling upwards, like getting a bigger profile and then just not being interesting. Yeah, you know what, guys? Maybe Jeff Johns is the curse of this stuff. He fucked up Aquaman. He fucked up Cyborg. He kind of killed Wally West for six years. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, let's listen to some good characters. Let's get the dastardly and Muttley number three, <laughs> written by Garth Ellis, illustrated, NS, illustrated by Morissette. Um. This, this is book, a delight. This is, this so is one of my 
two favorite books of the week. Yeah, I was I was unsure after that first issue, but man, I am on board now. <laughs> There's so much good here. There's so much wacky, like. So one of the things I do on Twitter, you guys might know, is like occasionally I make a joke about how like I hate when something happens to me and it's something straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon. Right. Yeah. That's basically all this book is. <laughs> yeah. Like I hate when somebody comes in with a giant eighty pound mallet and smashes me into a pancake shape. You know, yeah. like that's that's what this is. That's my favorite thing though. I love it. Oh, I love it. Um Yeah, this this book is just great. Like it's funny. It's doing interesting things, like the bit where the the coyote and the roadrunner run into the yep. Oval Office, but they're like, not like cartoon. They're like actual animals, you know. Right. And um, then and then that president, or he's supposed to be the president, right? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, does a uh, coyote and roadrunner ga- gag by running through. The giant harp and splitting yeah. into. <laughs> I was yeah. wondering why the president's daughter plays a harp with deadly strings, but you know, I'll let that go. <laughs> this is great. This is so much fun. Mm. This is so much better than it has any right to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And Morissette is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I've ever seen Morissette art before, but. It works so well here. Yeah. I I could see Morissette on, on, you know, like, other DC, like, DC superhero comics that aren't, like, flagship. Like, they probably wouldn't put him on a Justice League or something. Right. But, like, I could see him on something minor, and it'd be a lot of fun, I think. Agreed. Yeah, this is this is a great book. Well, hold on to your butts, folks. It's time for Dead Man Number One. Written and illustrated by Neil Adams, understood by no man. <laughs> some, some, hey, somebody come get Neil Adams. <laughs> He's One done. of Neil Adams' friends, come get him. Come get your is boy. It, is it kind of uncanny how much Jim Gordon looks like Colonel Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> He looks like Colonel Sanders in some panels. He looks like Geraldo Rivera. I was gonna say Geraldo. I was just gonna say that. Yeah. 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 Uh, This book is wacky. So let's let's just let's establish a couple of things here. So I said this to the boys before we started recording. To understand this book, you have to be okay from jump with the idea that Commissioner Gordon would go to Japan to inspect some nuclear equipment. Like that you have to just buy that and not ask any questions. Of course that's what would happen. Then you get the most confusing origin story of all time told, which is that Dead Man is Boston Brand is still dead, but his brother is also now Dead Man, the acrobat, but there was somebody else who was first Dead Man and he tried to save him and like it it sounds it reads like Milton from Office Space telling that <laughs> story. Like, you know, and then there was my brother, and he was the dead man. 
but before that, there was somebody else, and I, I tried to put him out, but I could not do it. And like, it's it makes no fucking sense. It is so weird. Cleveland brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because of course his brother has to have another northeastern city's name. <laughs> this is my brother, New York City brand. <laughs> Uh, Pawtucket brand yeah. at your service. Lake Erie brand. <laughs> no, what the fuck, guys? They they have a they have a hipster brother named Puget Sound brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And so then, <laughs> I'm 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 just hitting the highlights here. You guys can stop me and jump in at any point here. I, I have no idea what happened in this, so go for uh, it. Nobody does. Right. So so there's there's this character that's called I guess it's, is it the Claw or uh... <laughs> that's a so, Marvel character? Come on. No, the I was thinking of the Claw from Get Smart. Um, I was thinking of the Claw from uh, the Jim Carrey vehicle Liar Liar. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, featuring uh, our handsome friend Carrie Always. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. You're scared of the Claw. Yeah. That's a deep cut. I did really like how one of the sound effects is chud. <laughs> that, by the way. Um, but so uh, at one point, Dead Man just starts like laughing. He thinks how funny it is that uh, that the car- that like somebody dies, and he just like breaks into this giant panel of laughter, and then the twisted. ground opens up. It's totally twisted. Um, but okay, so. At some point, we figure out that it's not really Jim Gordon. It's Batman as Jim Gordon, which just, you know, is another unnecessary wrinkle to this story. Um, well, here's the thing. Can I, can I stop you there for a second? Sure, yeah. When, when you do, in, in a story that's already incredibly confusing, um, written by a guy who doesn't seem to be able to tell a linear story anymore... When you throw in this character is disguised as this character, I have to tell you that I might get through that comic without realizing that fact. Yeah, exactly. Because when you're playing with like identities and disguise, if your story's not clear about it or you know didn't didn't hold my attention, I, I'm gonna start skimming and then I'm not gonna realize that it was like I didn't realize that because I didn't make it through it, you know. <laughs> There are two things I want to say about that. First of all, Batman has a perfectly good alias he goes by. So just make Matches Malone the ambassador to Japan or whatever. Oh, and well, that... he, would no- he would never be the ambassador to Japan. That's the fucking Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> I know. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I want to say about it. The thing I want to say about it is like, Dead Man is a character that is already impersonating other people so like nobody in this scene is who they say they are because <laughs> Batman is Jim Gordon but Dead Man is somebody else so it's just there's like there's there's so many layers here it's it's it, it's so by the way Hook is the name of the character not Claw Hook oh uh, right right yeah yeah Dustin so, Hoffman how about that guy exactly yes <laughs> oh Talk about another person who's been uh, dragged through the mud lately with uh, sexual harassment stuff. Yeah. Um, but was great in the Meyerowitz stories. I rewatched it on Netflix. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, does it feature Adam Sandler doing uh, untraditionally dramatic acting? It does, yes. Oh. Uh, he didn't even throw in one. You'd expect that, but he didn't do that. So. 
Um, did his family die on 9-11 in this movie? <laughs> no, I did not believe so. Um, all right, so here comes the best part of this. So Boston Brand believes that Batman killed the sensei, who is like the, I guess, the big villain here. Like the sensei is the one who trained the hook. And so Boston is all upset that he that he killed Batman, that Batman killed him. But he's like, you know, but Batman never kills. So how is how can this be? And then later on, it turns out that Batman did not kill him, but that he just like he said, like, he's as good as dead. Right. And this is so then okay, I, I have to read some of this, some of this uh, verbatim. So Boston jumps into Jim Gordon's body again. And he says, a master assassin who's dead, you dirtbag, because you killed him? And then Bruce says, he's as good as dead Boston, as good as, aha, I should have known. Batman doesn't kill anyone, you mealy-mouthed dirtbag. You wouldn't kill Hitler if you got the chance. You suck. You know that Batman? <laughs> you royally suck. That's what the fucking comic says. That's what the fucking comic says. He calls him a mealy-mouthed dirtbag, says he royally sucks, calls him Batbrain. He calls him a dirtbag twice, I noticed. He does, yes. And again, this is all happening while Boston Brand is inside Jim Gordon's body and Alfred is watching. And Alfred has a thought bubble that says, what in God's name is going on here? And <laughs> That's what my thought bubble said, too. Exactly. Uh, but then it gets even better because Gordon is still yelling. And, uh, like, uh, you're all about solving the problem. So how do you solve the problem of getting one of the getting rid of one of the most horrible assassins in the world? Did you tuck him in for a nappy? <laughs> Poetry. Yeah. Poetry in comic form. Yeah. There is so much wrong with this comic. Yet, I can't wait for issue number two. <laughs> Zach, anything to say about this? Nope, we said it all. We've got more bad comics to talk about. Well, we have a brief respite from that with Deathstroke number 25, mm, which is a right. exercise issue. This is my medium take of the week. This is the worst issue of Deathstroke so far. No. I don't think so. No. What's the worst issue of Deathstroke? Well, the I don't the know. one with Dr. Light. A few oh, issues no. back that I didn't like. That was better than this. No, this was good. This was so good. This, this was really bad. good. This is bad. It's my least favorite issue of Deathstroke so far. This is like, I won't say it's the best, but it's. I think it's up there with one of the better issues. This is a really good issue, I thought. I'm so tired of the trial, the faux trial as like a storytelling uh, device. Oh uh, well, you uh. just haven't watched. You haven't played enough Phoenix Wright. <laughs> Don't know what that is, though. I agree. I have not played enough Phoenix Wright. This is great, though. Like. It was it was one of the best versions of the fake trial that I've ever seen in comics, though. Like, for my money, it it takes. Here's here's what it did for me. It took something like the War of Jokes and Riddles, where you've got all these villains standing around, and in one issue, like it had more satisfying moments from all these issues and said more about villainy than that arc did in like eight issues or whatever the hell it was 
Oh yeah, that, that I mean, page. That's where, those like couple pages where each villain is kind of describing their like nuanced take on villainy, like and how like funny some of those were. Oh, I, yeah. oh man, I just love the black man a bit. No, but we will give you books to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's like um. It's almost like a twist too, because like they're all they're all there, putting Slade on trial to judge whether he's still a, a villain or not, you know, whether he's still evil. And I love how like halfway through they're like, "Well, wait a minute, I wouldn't call myself evil," <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, Hector Hammond's like, "I'm the next evolutionary step. I'm beyond evil." <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, it was so good, Brian. I just I. I... It was fine. It was a good. It was a fine issue. It's just it's my least favorite Deathstroke issue so far. I think. Hmm. I can't. I mean. Yeah. You, you know what it was too. I, I feel like it. It somewhat gave me vibes of um, Justice League versus Suicide Squad, with like you have this kind of random assortment of sort of B level villains hanging out together. Um. It was fine. It was fine. It's, it's 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 not my favorite issue of the book. It didn't advance the story at all, really. No, it didn't. And in fact, the <laughs> the rest of uh, of Defiance, the team, ca- kind of comments on that because, <laughs> like, I think Rose yeah. Rose says it's been four days, and like they they're like, "Where's Slade?" <laughs> and and then he's like. Uh, you know, obviously this must be some kind of test. They're all just, like, standing around doing nothing. Yeah. See, I think that's how clever uh, Christopher Priest is, because I think Oh, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, he's, like, fully aware what this issue is. First of all, it's an extra-sized anniversary issue, right? It's it's that they've been doing that with the 25th issue of these Rebirth right. books for some reason. And, uh, and so they've been padding the size... And he took the opportunity to put a lot of, um, summarize a lot of uh, Slade backstory in case you didn't know anything about that, you know, and kind of juxtapose that with the trial. And I feel like, I feel like he wouldn't have done that if he would have only had 20 pages to work with, you know? Right. So I feel like that's what he used that for. And then like... I'm just so impressed the way that he understands the medium enough to know that like, well, yeah, if I'm going to do an issue like this, defiance is going to be standing around. So I got to comment on it in a, in a clever way like that. And then, and then the, the, the trial with the villains, like for me, it's the perfect balance of, uh, embracing the cartooniness of comics and the, the, wackiness of these villains while also while also taking it seriously you know it's it's kind of like what grant morrison does a little bit where he like he is willing to bring the most ridiculous concepts back from the history of whatever character he's working on and we as the reader can read them and know that they're ridiculous but he doesn't have to always constantly like wink at the camera and say can you believe how wacky this is you know right right we just we know it's wacky and they're taking it seriously while still being wacky it's 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 a tough note 
to hit, but I think he does yeah. it. I think he's I mean, good at it. Deathstroke gets shot through the back of the head through his eyeball <laughs> in this issue. Like his his eyeball explodes. <laughs> That's like <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about like violent Looney Tunes, like like <laughs> PG thirteen Looney Tunes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this this issue was like pretty bonkers. I loved it. I I thought that like for all the reasons that we've discussed, I really liked this. In fact, I would maybe go as far as saying that this might be my favorite issue of the Defiance arc. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah, it could be. Could be mine. I don't know that. I need to reread it. I also just think that like. Even if you think this is a weaker issue of Deathstroke, which I don't, but um, even if you do, like, I read this issue, this was the last issue I read this week, after reading everything else. And I sat there and I was like, this is so far ahead of everything else I read this week, (laughs) that I'm glad I read it when I did, because it was the high point of my week. It It is really funny how, like... This book had a better Raptor than the book that Raptor is in. It had a better Riddler <laughs> than the book that Riddler has been in. Yeah. Um, it had a better Hector Hammond than the book that Hector Hammond has recently been in. Yeah. Um, everyone is better here. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Give Christopher Priest everything. We're not far from his Justice League starting. Or not. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah. Uh, Next up is Green Arrow, number 34, written by Ben Percy, with Stephen Byrne joining the best uh, art team in comics already, with Otto Schmidt and Juan Ferreira now getting uh, Stephen Byrne, too. That's that's a murderer's row right there. Mm hmm. What did you guys think of this issue? Um, It felt. It felt very transitional. Yes, that's a good way to put it. I I didn't dig it all that much. Yeah, I really um, I don't really care anything about Moira Queen coming back. I don't care at all about the Diggle Merlin stuff. Um. Did <laughs> This is really bad, but did anyone catch the nut face in this issue? <laughs> <laughs> what page? We haven't talked about it yet this this week. It's during Moira's flashback thing. In the it's just so bad, but it's at the bottom of the page where they're getting married and, <laughs> and he's getting shot through the back. <laughs> <laughs> It's story story page four for our listeners. <laughs> he could have been great, but I had to be great for him. Yeah. <laughs> Gooch. <laughs> you got it, Zach. You nailed it. You did. I almost don't want to say anything else about this issue because it was so perfect. Um, no, I, I'll say this. I, I think that it... I understand why the book is trying to 
incorporate more of the Arrow TV sh- stuff into the book because Arrow is on its sixth season. It's a successful adaptation. But, like, I don't think Moira, Cre- Moira Queen ever had any real role in the comics before that show started, you know? So it feels a little bit like they're just trying to shove that character in there. Like, I, I, I'm i really shocked we haven't seen Felicity Smoke yet. Yeah. No, wasn't she in that, um... She was in that arc after Jeff Lemire left. The, like, six issues That's with, right. um... I don't yeah, remember but, who wrote that. Yeah, um... I was Percy, maybe. I thought Percy came later. I thought he came in, like, DCU. There was, like, a six-issue arc. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, Regardless. But uh, I'm surprised in Rebirth, I meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, this this issue, as Vince said, it's very transitional. But Stephen Byrne's artwork, as always, looks great. And, uh, you know... I, I did not love the Megan Trainer reference in this issue, where she talks about how she's all about that base. It, it was Andrew Kreisberg re, uh, writing at the time. Okay, who is a writer on Arrow? So there yeah, you go. Yeah, exactly. Sense. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, anything else to add before we uh, move on? God bless you guys. Uh, I gotta get that mute button. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move over to Green Lanterns, number 34, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Ronan Cliquet. Uh, I like this way better than the last issue. I I think I can get behind that sentiment. I liked it a little better than last issue. And I liked it a little better because I feel like, not for any of the... the spacey green lantern stuff but the real life stuff i felt was a little more uh real it was a little more honest i think yep um it dealt with some of the issues that uh you know jess would potentially have with her anxiety and in a very real way and the same with the simon and people that would be potentially racist towards him um i felt like those rang true enough for me to appreciate them a little more other than that i didn't really care about anything that was going on in this i um i like the idea that if people had like heard about green lanterns and even seen like videos of them how seeing a green lantern work in person would would blow your mind Mm. i really appreciated that idea um i don't love the fact that they're making simon so much different than the other green lanterns Though I understand why they're doing it, because there's a lot of human Green Lanterns right now, so you gotta do something different. But like, giving him a healing power is a little weird. Um. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is as good as like the best Sam Humphreys issues, which wasn't that good, but I enjoyed this way more than I enjoyed last week's. Or two weeks, rather. I'm just waiting for the next thing, I guess. Yeah, me too, I think. The Bufunga thing might be promising. The little stinger at the end was... It was funny. It was nice. It felt... It, it felt like they were trying to ape... Or Celia was trying to ape the tone of, like, 
Guardians of the Galaxy, which is fine. I mean, you could ape, you know, much worse things. Sure. All right, real quickly, I, I don't think I didn't really have that much to say about this, but let's quickly mention Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica, number two. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on this? This is another one that I fell asleep during several times. <laughs> yeah, and especially because at one point, Harley and Ivy change back into their modern costumes, so there's two Harley and Ivys walking around, which is sort of the plot, but just makes for a very confusing reading experience. Yeah, especially when you're falling asleep. Yeah. I think I said last time we reviewed this book that, like, I think I, I liked that issue well enough, but I'm pretty sure I said during that episode, like, this is the sort of thing that I'm going to like one or two issues of and then be done with. Yep. And I think I think that did it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Zach, anything to add? Nope. Yeah. All right. Now we've come to the Jetsons, number one. <laughs> uh, written by Jimmy Palmiotti, illustrated by um, uh, Pierre Brito, Brito. Mm-hmm. and this is one of those Hanna Barbera books that I don't really understand why this is a Jetsons book. Like you know, it there's almost nothing about this that feels wait, Jetsons- wait, wait. It says right there, Brian. Meet George Jetson, his boy Elroy, yeah. daughter Judy, Jane, his wife. His what wife. more do you want? Um, I didn't hate this book, but I just sort of feel it's just nothing. But it's like doing so many things. <laughs> right, but not Jetsons. <laughs> right, right. You have this like weird sci-fi story where the world is going to end, and they're also commenting on like what does it mean to be alive and human, and then also... They're exploring, like, this post-apocalyptic Earth thing that's, like, very, you know, Great Disaster, Kirby-esque. And... It's the Fantastic Four, basically. There's, yeah. yeah, there's so much happening. Yeah, this could be a Fantastic Four arc. You're right. Man, I didn't even think about that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's instead of uh, uh, George Jetson getting comedically trapped on a never-ending conveyor belt where, while his wife empties his wallet, it's... Uh, Geez, what is it like to not feel anymore, Grandma? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of trying to do the Flintstones thing. Um, oh, who was the writer on Flintstones? Mark, Mark Russell. Mark Russell. But I, I feel like that tone and that style of humor is much more up Mark Russell's alley than it is Jimmy Palmiotti's. So, like... I felt like this was overwritten at times. Like some of these ideas are sound and some of them are, it's interesting to just like they did with Flintstones to think of modern or slightly futuristic ideas under a stone age guise. Right. To, to do that in reverse with the Jetsons to like take things that we think about, about the future in our modern times. And then like, well, now they're actually there, and what do they think about it? But it's I, I like some of those ideas, but it's kind of overwritten and just what not. If George Jetson had iPhone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. it's more like what if George Jetson have AI of mother in a shell? <laughs> <I'm> a <robot. laughs> 
They scare of him. What what if what if Rosie Alexa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, imagine yeah. imagine what if uh Judy sell feet pics online. Uh, all right let's move on justice league number 32 part two of the bats out of hell metal tie-in written by robert venditti illustrated by liam sharp man talk about a snooze fest yeah wasting that good good liam sharp art too and it was good The, the art was good but nothing happens in this issue no. I like I kind of only want to talk about the uh the Liam Sharp art. I like the way he draws the way he draws these heroes. They look like at times they look like um the way like ancient gods or gladiators are drawn yep. in like re- like renaissance era paintings or or something, you know? Um, his characters have a ton of power behind them, but also a ton of history behind them. Mm-hmm. They all look a little worse for the wear. Yeah. Yeah. So basically we're saying that this comic is 10 out of 10. The costumes look great. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I I just, these, uh, man, these metal tie-ins have been just a bad idea. We've gotten a couple. We've gotten a couple good moments out of them. A couple good issues. You know, maybe some of the tie-in arcs have been okay, but like for the most part, let's just learn our lesson on. <laughs> the Gotham Resistance was by far the best tie-in arc. Yes, I yes. think so. Yeah, I think. And even yeah. that, I even that I fell out of favor with towards the end. But... There's really no reason for it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's really not. It's it's, um, it's just such a naked cash grab, you know. Are are we supposed to? So, the the drowned bat woman turned Mara into like a giant sea kaiju thing. That's what we're supposed to take from this. Or at least she's that's supposed... what she's telling Arthur. Right. Right. This is uh, that's pretty metal. <laughs> and part of the issue here too is that DC has their their guys who they tend to throw tie-ins to because they're probably reliable and get their shit in on time and don't rock the boat too much. So you get a lot of like Frank Thierry and Robert Venditti tie-in books. But ultimately, I don't care for those guys as writers as much as I care for some other people and so you're you're getting like these these books that don't really have a purpose and are just a blatant cash grab written by the sort of blandest most vanilla creators that you have on your staff and so unless you get a liam sharp to do the art for the issue there's really nothing to chew on did you guys see there's going to be a liam sharp uh wonder woman batman book that's the rumor yeah yeah i'm cool with that Whatever. Yeah. All right, let's go over to Nightwing, number 32. Um, This issue takes place mainly in a casino. 
involves a fair amount of flashbacking and a lot of blackjack. Yeah. Vince, I have a feeling you hated this issue. This... I mean, I hit I hit Nightwing and I was like, man, there what books did I like this week, you know? It's it's yeah, oh, even the books I normally like are just falling flat for me. The one thing that worked about this issue that I liked was at one point cuz you know Raptor supposedly goes back as far as uh working with Dick's parents, right? Right. And the one thing I liked was when Dick was like, I'm going to tell you the story of what probably happened with you, you know? And he tells the story about how, you know, the day that his parents died and then where Raptor was and that Raptor's nothing more than... He was supposed to be a protector and what he ended up being was just a thief or something, you know? Mm I thought that was a really effective flashback, nice bit of storytelling. The art and the writing came together really nicely there. That was three pages out of this issue, though, which was, like, otherwise just full of the same stuff that I kind of don't like, that I've already said I don't really like about Nightwing. I don't give a crap about what's going on in Blockbuster's Casino. I just don't. (laughs) And it's too late for me to care now. So, it's just more more of the same of this particular arc for me. Zach, what would you think? Yeah, same. I'm I really like this book is doubling down on all the things I don't care about, so I'm I'm really kinda sad that this is the the arc that Seely's going out on. Um I uh I don't disagree with any of that. I um I did enjoy this stuff with Sean and uh and those guys. I like them. I think Vince is right about that that scene of Dick playing detective and sort of piecing together what Raptor was doing when his parents died was good. I'm not as down on this arc as you guys are. It's certainly not a great arc, but I'm I'm dealing with it. Um, but let's move on. We have uh, The Shadow and Batman number two, which um, continues the, the sort of overall Batman Shadow arc from... The DC series in this Dynamite series, uh, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Giovanni Timpano, and um, there is some more really good Damien in this book. <laughs> Steve Orlando yeah. can write Damien. Yeah, he can. Yeah, the Damien stuff is good. That's about the only thing that I felt like this issue really had going for it, though. I kind of liked how it. I kind of liked how it did, didn't necessarily discard the stuff that we saw from the last time the uh, Batman and Shadow teamed up, which was uh, uh, the, the Shambhala stuff. It, yeah, immediately prior to this series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that was kind of nice. I kind of liked how how uh, <laughs> how Batman was or Bruce was kind of um, a little bit incredulous, like oh, we're doing this again, you know. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I could leave you behind. I don't need to. I didn't need to see you again, you know. <laughs> but then they're gonna do it. They're gonna, they're gonna rope the shadow back into their caper here and dress him up like uh, what one of Bruce's cousins or something. Bruce's uncle on his mother's side. Uncle, uncle. That's what yeah, I mean. yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed this book. 
I'm really liking these crossovers. Yeah, it wasn't as um. I really liked how how bonkers the first issue was with that ending where you know da- Damien essentially blows Bruce up, even though he re- you know it's not Bruce, you know. Right. I I kind of wish there was something here. I mean, I guess the dressing him up like his uncle is kind of that, but it's not as it's not as wacky. You know, Silver Age style fun. Yeah. But can't win them all. Yeah. It's good though. I yeah. like it. And the last book of the week, Superman number thirty four, written by Peter Tabasi and Pat Leeson, illustrated by a uh, trio of DC's um Boy was talent, it. <laughs> Ed Bennis, Doug Monkey, and Jack Herbert. And uh Essentially a quilt of different patchwork. Uh, <laughs> you can really tell where one ends and one begins here. Not at all. <laughs> I, I don't think I could pick out a monkey page in this. I don't really? know. Like, uh, I think monkey did the first page where you see Grant, that granny goodness to me. That's a, that's a monkey granny goodness right there. Uh I don't know. That isn't. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, man. I I was really looking forward to this arc. I uh, I have not liked this book since the end of the Manchester Black arc. You didn't like Superman with the bones of a of a war soldier. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> you see, John, Antifa is the real enemy. <laughs> John, on November 4th, Antifa yeah. is going to bed. <laughs> we had all white parents. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's Saturday, guys. Get ready. I, I guess, Vince, do you get off the hook because you're a step parent? Or does, do you think you're going to be beheaded also? Oh, I, I want them to kill me. I know, that, I know you want them to, but will they? I hope so. Okay. We'll see. I've we'll two, in two days, we'll find out. This has been a fun... If not, I hope you guys continue the show without me. Well, I'll be, um, I'm a white parent. I'm gone. Is, is Zach, that Zach I, I, hope you can, I hope you continue the show without us. I, I will find... read exactly three books every week and talk about them <laughs> for five minutes apiece. And you, you and all the other uh, childless dinks around the the nation will uh, be able to enjoy that. There, yeah. There's a, a shell of a good story here. Like, and like, I hate to like make it just about art, but I feel like if Gleason was drawing this, like this, this arc would sing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like it's a great idea having Lewis like get inducted into the, you know, the furies and, and, there's a lot of good stuff here. There really is. Um, Why does it have to look like this? Yeah, it just doesn't come together. Um, man, and and Ed Bennis is uh, somebody who, whose art I've thought was okay in the past. I've never been a fan, but like, it's been serviceable in the past, even if it's cheesecakey sometimes. Mm. Um. 
but now I don't think that's the case anymore. I think it's I think it's getting rough and uh, and weird at times. And um, yeah, I like the idea of Lois becoming a Fury. I like the idea that Superman is this the true prophecy uh, uh, god of apocalypse, basically. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, a the sort of wacky comic book idea that I kind of like. But yeah, it's the, man. I can't even nail down why why I I mean aside from the art why this didn't really work for me. I just feel like this is taking like first of all the Lex stuff has felt so much a part of action so far. I feel like it doesn't really fit the book that's been happening in Superman. That's number one. Number two, I feel like Apocalypse Without Dark Side is is not that interesting. Yeah. I, I also you know what else is kinda weird to me? The, and this is just I don't know why this is rubbing me the wrong way. But it's weird to have Superman, Lois, and John all separate on, on Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. You know, like Lois is awesome. She's an awesome character, but like what is she doing walking around alone on Apocalypse? Right. And like, well, I guess she's going to become a Fury, so that's kind of cool. But like, what's John do? Like, John... I feel like the second Clark is on planet, he has John in his hand, in his arms. Yeah. I get, yeah. I get, it feel, that's what's making this feel disjointed for me, too. I, I don't... I don't know. I mean, it's a comic book. I don't want to say that Lois can't, like fire a gun and take care of herself on, on Apocalypse. I just don't think that, like... I feel like even Superman would be Leave like, it to the man. I get it. No, 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 no. I don't want to sound like that. I, know, I, don't, I, know, I, know. I don't mean it in that way. No. I be, let me be clear. She's a powerless human. Right. Yes. On Apocalypse. Yeah. It's just It just feels weird to me. Now, I think it's cool that they're making her a fury. But, like... Something about just having them all separate and all this stuff is going on at the same time is just kind of... It's not coming together for me, I guess. I understand that. Well, folks, that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Next week, we're going to tackle three more issues of Watchmen. And it appears that by your votes, we are more than likely going to be doing a commentary track. An MST-DC-3K edition of uh of the watchman film we're gonna do the watchman director's cut it appears uh so all three hours and seven minutes of it holy shit uh i don't know what we're gonna record this yet i maybe we'll do this maybe this will be our uh our holiday gift to the listeners there you go so we have a little time to do it maybe we'll even record it in installments yeah we might have to yeah We'll see. Um, how about this? If we no, I'm not gonna. Say, I was gonna say if we got like 20 more tweets, we do it drunk, and if we got 100 more tweets, we do it on peyote. But I'm just, I'm just joking. You get me some peyote, and I will do it. I was, I was, I don't, I don't know where to get peyote to to make this claim. So, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll probably have to do it drunk. Well, we'll see. 
if if I do it drunk, my uh, Bob Dylan is gonna be that much better when I'm singing along with the opening montage. <laughs> Sometimes the other changes. Don't gather around, people, wherever you're from. Joker man. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it is it is so twisted that Apple Music keeps putting that on your playlist. <laughs> it's very twisted, yeah. What what must they think of me? Yeah, I don't know. You wanna know how I got this on my Apple playlist? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't half bad. That was not half bad. Anyway, uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brian is an app. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And we'll be back next week with more DC3Cast, more Watchmen, and yes, more Info Rorschach. Good night. He's back. Here he is with his wife. 